was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scans. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million albums. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian in late night sitcoms syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like, I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this, I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this, I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this, it feels just like this, it feels I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. Yeah. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play who with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I and wish, I wish. And welcome to a new episode of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Dre Gray. And we have a fun, fun episode for you today. We, of course, I don't know why I always speak about myself in the royal we. That's got to stop. Um, but I, of course, am happy to take your questions about today's episode, but I also have invited two of my friends and co-hosts over at the Hill over to have a conversation about a topic which unites us rather than one that divides us. You know them. You love them. Robbie Suave and Olayami Olerin. I'm hearing that Ole is in the house. Ole and Robbie, if you are in the room. Oh, I see Robbie. I'm going to bring you up to speak. Ole, I'm looking for you in the batch. If I can't see you. Oh, there you are. There you are. Okay, unmute yourselves and let's get into it. How are you guys doing? I'm here. Ole, I see you unmuted yourself. I'm not unmuted. No, you you just unmuted yourself. I see Robbie struggling with it a little bit. It's a little button in the bottom left, Robbie. I know you're kind of new to the platform. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we had this idea, Robbie. You you're really the 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 instigator here because we were sitting together <laughs> on set last week talking about Game of Thrones, as we always do. And you suggested that we do this panel with us three, and I couldn't think of a better idea. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, and it's because, in part, Ole, you have these takes that you put on the Internet. I don't know if it's a TikTok or it's just straight to to, to Twitter. I, I've taken to calling every short video format a TikTok because I'm an elder millennial, and that's how I see the world. I support that. I support that. <laughs> But I am dying to know this. Okay, so this is a warning to everybody here and involved. 
I understand that the episode just aired last night and that some of you have lives and might have been doing something else to prepare for the week ahead and might not want to hear spoilers. Then this is not this is not the time for you. I suggest that you come back in an hour or so when we wrapped the Game of Thrones conversation and we we're just talking about the episode. But I can't I can't help you. I can't save you from yourselves if you continue to choose to listen right now. This is a Game of Thrones talk. We're going to be talking about spoilers. So let me let me ask you first, Robbie, because I think that you're like the resident, like uber nerd of the group who's really like read the books and knows all of the things. What did you make of the finale? Yeah, that's fair. I know the source material very well. Um, I know everyone who's going to die and how it ends. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I thought really this whole season has been perfect. Um, arguably better, I think, than a lot of Game of Thrones. Maybe this is on par with Game of Thrones at its best. Certainly better than Game of Thrones toward the end. Um, I credit actually George R. R. Martin's greater involvement in this. So he, is mu- he has much more creative control over House of the Dragon, that, that, that uh, George R. R. Martin being the author, than he did over Game of Thrones, where it was really his vision was turned over to these, you know, to other people to produce it. And those people... Um, did a fine job for a while and then totally ran out of ideas on their own. And, and also it's funny to contrast with like that, like in Game of Thrones, the original Game of Thrones, right? They changed a char- one character's name because it was too similar to another character. Like how far we've come. Now we have multiple characters with the same names. <laughs> Everyone's name sounds exactly the same. And it's just Jar- George R. R. Martin is in charge, trusting audiences to like figure it out. And it was beautiful. I thought it was, I thought it was so great. So faithful to source material and just really compelling. I have nothing but good things to say about it, honestly. Okay, Ola, do you agree? Oh, I love medieval Jerry Springer. I love it. I love it. It's exactly, it's exactly my kind of mess. <laughs> like, Wait, so why are you calling it medieval Jerry Springer? What? What? What do you? This is what? What else is it? This, <laughs> that's all it is. All this is is paternity suits and family squabble. <laughs> the incest edition. <laughs> Wait, does that make Kristen Cole like uh, Steve? <laughs> Listen, he what he is is a, a loser. That's what he is. I he needs like to he... die. Can we all agree? Oh, Kristen my, Cole listen, needs to die. I'll kill Kristen myself. Oh, yeah. my God. Nobody yeah. has ever needed to ask whooping like Sir Kristen Cole. What is he even mad about? What is he's the worst side bitch in the history of side bitches everywhere? I yeah. hate him. Hate him. Hate him. 20, 20 year grudge that she, that Rhaenyra wouldn't run away to Dorne or Pentos with him. Very stupid. That's Very so crazy. Stupid. That's so crazy. I'm, I like, I'm, I'm like, what, let me tell you what I need y'all to understand. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's pull it back, right? Let me, okay. you know how there are multiple, multiple Rhaenyras in this series to let us know that at a point this is a child, right? And then she must change actresses. So Kristen Cole is the same person the entire show to indicate that he is an old grizzly man the whole fucking time. He got some teenage pussy one time and lost his fucking mind. Okay, he's this. absurd. He is absurd. So Kristen is the absolute worst. I never seen. He should have older Sir Kristen Cole. I agree with someone who pointed this out on Twitter. Should have been played by um, what's his face from uh, What We Do in the Shadows. If if you anybody watches that, the fact the fat vampire from What We Do in the Shadows would have been a great older Kristen Cole. See, no, here's my issue. Fine. I, I don't understand why they didn't kill him after he murdered 
uh, Rhaenyra's husband's lover in cold blood in front of everybody at a party. You can't tell me that's like legal behavior, sanctioned behavior in anybody's court, even if it's back in the day, middle ages. You, First you can't be rolling up okay. and killing <laughs> noblemen in the middle of parties. <laughs> you, you, oh, you must not. You must not understand that Sir Kristen Cole is a fucking serial killer. <laughs> like, they cannot, they cannot do anything about the unhinged serial killer, but hope not to make it mad. You don't see that man is crazy. They, they know he's crazy. Like I, I, I agree with you, Bree, that they did not have a good explanation for why he would not have been like arrested for that, um, which is a, a function of this adaptation because the source material we have to keep in mind is, is sort of like a history. It's not narrative in the same way that game of Thrones is like game the game of Thrones source material is a book. It's narrated from the perspective of Arya, of Ned Stark, of Bran, of Sansa, etc. Whereas this is, is almost different historians saying, well, I recall that it happened this way. So there's sort of like in the source material, an ambiguity for how that character died and how mm-hmm. involved Kristen Cole was. Whereas in the show, they have to just like literally show you, okay, he straight up murdered him. He committed a hate crime and we're just going to move on. Well, well, hold on. Yes, 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 yes. Actually, let's, let's, let's double back to that hate crime thing. Because I, I, I have not come to a firm conclusion if I'm supposed to know definitively what exactly his problem is. I'm like, I'm like, what exactly? I'm like, y'all, I'm going to give us a certain multiple choice thing. And is it all the above? Is it which one? I'm not sure. Is it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> That this just man, this man is just in his fucking business, and he has a problem with that. <laughs> is it too <laughs> that he believes? It, is it because he's gay? He recognizes that he has this relationship with Selena. Three, did he misunderstand and take that man to be saying he's also one of Renera's hoes? Like <laughs> four, was he upset that Damon was about to make out uh, with 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 um, what was she named Renera, and he was just too soft to go fight Damon? So he took it out on this guy, like. What exactly is the reason for beating this poor baby to a bloody pulp? I, I think he had the worst reaction to because the 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 lover that he beat to death was like going to be the honorary side piece for for Rainier's husband. I think he resented being relegated to like side piece status more than anyone on earth has ever resented that to the point where he murders and carries a grudge for two decades. It wasn't just about like I lost my lover, right? It was about how he really took his honor being no, he's no, 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 no. Ain't no honor. That man was a hoe. I I went back and watched. But the the story, as I remember it, and and tell me if I'm wrong, was that he, you know, it's a big deal to take the pledge of celibacy or whatever in the white cloak. I'm defend my queen, and then he felt like because of true love, he was willing to break it for Renera's little teenage self. He's okay. First of all, it became clear that he had basically thrown away all of his values for someone who wasn't worthy of it in his eyes. That's what made him so angry. Not just that he that he like you know, lost a girlfriend, or yeah. that he feels almost embarrassed that he threw away something that he said that he valued so much for someone who ultimately didn't care that much about it. Okay. Oh, Lord. Yeah, Lord. I agree. I think that's oh. what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he sucks. That doesn't oh, I, can't he sucks. Be, I can't be a part of this. First of all, I, I went back. At first, I thought, you know, this was Masia's virginity. This the first, ooh, you know, he ain't know what to do with himself. This is his first, his first time he dipped his toe in. But I went back. He he had a conversation with her at that time when she went running off the reservation with, on the horse and he followed mm-hmm. her. He had a whole conversation and he was talking about how he was fucking bitches all around the colonies. So, 
control. This ain't no pure chaste little girl, okay? This man has been full of streets. Second of all, this job, this little... took his vow. Oh, give me a break. Give me a break. You wouldn't even have these effing vows if she didn't get you this job, homie. And you only got this job because I mean, you was cute. Second he's of all... Also, he's also Dornish. And the Dornish all, are very lusty, we have been told. Huh. And he bankrolled. Okay to say that, but it's true. He bankrolled. He was way older than this little girl. He was a big grown man who de-armored. We need... Hold on. Stop right here. It's important to discuss the de-armoring. You had, this was a conscious decision. You knew what it was. You know you couldn't marry the princess. You know this is a secret. You literally, you were shaking in your boots at the thought of the queen knowing this. Because you know you're not allowed to fuck her. So how could you marry her? How could you marry her? What are you talking about? This was understood that this was quiet. Need to know. That's what this is about, sir. He is he he is in breach of the terms of the agreement. He is in breach. He don't got nothing to be upset about. And what are you upset about? So this it worked out for you. She likes you. You ain't even just a little bit of tail. She said, listen, it could be me and you, baby. Me and my husband have an agreement. He 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 has a dude. So it's not even that kind of arrangement. What are you crying about? Because you cause because why? Because you my mom in secret, but all you offering me is secret. You telling me let's run across the narrow seas and live in hiding, broke down and together. This is the unity. We we no we no disagreement. He's just the worst. Um, I I think uh, Aemon Targaryen, the one eyed uh, Targaryen, is, is coming a close second to yeah. Most I need him dead. Um, okay. after his actions. Wait a minute. But... Wait a minute. Not, no, 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 Bree. That what that. Why did I feel the spirit of wanting to rehabilitate Aemon? I felt that spirit from you. No, look, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not trying to rehabilitate him. I'm just. Unlike Kristen Cole, who I found to be stupid and boring, and like really right, only like who did he think he was? That he his whatever he was given laying down was so good that Renaris was going to give it all up. All right, and I saw that scene and go he across the narrow seas with him. I mean, that's straight delusional behavior. However, Amon is different. He was an underdog. He's a younger son. He has to fight for everything he gets. He's <laughs> oh, scrappy. Give me a, he loves oh, give eye. me a, He's got oh, the best give me a call. Oh, give me a fucking he's break. A oh, don't fuck me. He's, he's, a, he's a usurper and a traitor along like, with his whole family. Rob, you let us drink that hot shit, Robbie. What you talking about? <laughs> Wait a minute. You guys, you guys are not. You guys are not understanding what I'm saying. I'm not no, no. Is you're, that you're, is, you're right. Yeah, is, he's, is he's a, a good character. He's a good guy. I'm saying he's an interesting bad guy. Unlike no, he's Kristen a great Cole, bad guy. Just like kill him already. Yeah, first of all, a, he's a good bad first guy. First of all, first of all, I want you to understand that I would slit the two of their throats immediately if I got the option. <laughs> like both of them got two gil. That's for first and foremost. Second of all, I'd hardly call being down a dragon for about ten years being an underdog. And you lost that eye because you were hate criming all the little children. <laughs> you oh. fucking, you got a dragon and immediately started hate criming. All of your fucking cousins and half siblings. That's why he you lost your child. fucking eye. <laughs> he was a he was a picked on child. Picked on girl, what you talking about? I'm just saying. I'm not trying to say that anybody <laughs> deserved to be de-eyed. He did. He did. No, but he did. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. You don't gotta say it, Brianna. I allow me to lose Lurid. Say that Aemon Targaryen, whatever his name, deserved to lose that mother effing eye. What do you mean? He is a matter of fact. If he lost both, I'd be okay with it. Like, but don't you? Wouldn't you rather watch Aemon? Okay, so what we're not talking well, yeah. about is the big event of the season finale. Which, mm. again, I'm sorry for if you haven't watched it in spoilers, but like, this is happening. Where in a chase between. 
uh, Rhaenyra's youngest son, the little baby boy and his little baby dragon, and Aemon with his biggest dragon in the land. Aemon sort of accidentally, but definitely finalizes the little boy's life in his dragon Ooh. chomps chomps the little dragon in half like it's an abisco wafer listen and yeah kills- there's some debate over whether that was intentional aemond obviously had that look afterward like oops uh that got it's out spirit of led. um but you know what which, which is a little bit different from the source material in which it's well again because it's not narrative no one was there so the historians remember that aemond on his much bigger dragon, Vagar, chased down Lucerus and killed him. And there was no one there to, you know, know that, well, maybe it was sort of an accident, although he was mm-hmm. totally screwing with him, which is, which is how this adaptation is interesting and a little bit different than the source material. But I still, that it was 100% his fault. And, oh, it's uh, 100% is, his fault. Yeah, and it seemed like they both kind of lost control evil. of their dragons. And the little boy didn't mean for his dragon to blow the fire at Aemon's dragon. And then once he blew the fire, it was on and popping because it made Amon's dragon. What's his name again, Robbie? Uh, Amon's dragon is Vagar. Vagar. And Sarah's dragon Arax. is, I believe, Arax. Arax. Yeah. Well, we don't need to talk about Arax anymore because Arax yeah, is dead. crumbs Very in the dead. ocean. <laughs> what, a, but what a beautiful scene. Uh, awe-inspiring when, when Vagar's shadowy outline emerges from the clouds and you can see That's the just how shit, much bigger. That's the scariest baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. need her ass beat. Renair need her ass beef for sending that little child out in the sky. Like, right. well, I don't know about that. Let's move what? Oh, my God. My God. The block is hot. Like, what is this? Like, listen, as a resident of, like, as a member of Team Black, we really have to call a spade a spade. This bitch was doing mess. Like, what are you talking about? War is upon us, baby girl. These people have been plotting on you in the open. They hate. They hate. And one thing I could say about the one thing I'll give the Greens is they have not made their, their feelings unknown. They have been hating that bitch and ambassador children in the open. They've been calling it out. They've been trying to get rid of y'all for the longest. You know what it is. What you've been doing? You're supposed to be planning. You already know what's up. They done start murking people if they ain't bending me to them. You know it's supposed to be war. Somehow you can't trust these people. They've been wanting y'all out of there. Girl, what? And that's the time you say, you know what? Let me let me take my eyes off my child. Let me let me set him off. Like silliness. Silly foolishness. No. Rhaenyra has echoes of Daenerys from the original series Game of Thrones in the in the initial unwillingness to go to the extreme and just like burn everyone down immediately I, I found some of that actually more implausible for Daenerys uh, and I, I I've spoken at length about why I, I found it not convinced well, well I like the idea of her like going crazy and evil at the end I did not think it was set up very well whatsoever Rhaenyra's if if she's going in a like down a dark path I think it's already been set up much better than that but you know look i get she was being a little uh a little restrained in that you know these are still her close family unlike daenerys who had actually no connection really to people in king's landing they were all her enemies they are you know a family a very unhappy dysfunctional family that with a lot of mutual suspicion and she feels very betrayed but uh, i I, th- I thought it was well presented her her kind of you know reluctance to just Okay, we're gonna send. All, we have more dragons than them. We're just gonna well, have dragon combat where everyone will die and the entire countryside will be well, on fire. Reluctance to ask point... into her son getting clipped. Yeah. So, what do you think of only a specific point about whether it was wise to send her little baby child off on that little baby dragon to go talk to what was well, it, Lord Baratheon? Well, see, Baratheon. Was, was incidentally, it, it was not wise incidentally because Aemond was there, but it, it would be. 
you know, these are important diplomatic missions that she can only trust to her, her, her most tr trustworthy people. I mean, even her and her husband, Damon, have some differences, clearly. So I understand why she would, you know, her literal sons, one of which is going to inherit, you know, stands in line to inherit her throne. They are, they are the only people that can be trusted with this mission. That would be, alone? you know. Pure foolery. That's pure foolery. Robbie, well, nobody okay. else can fly the. I mean, the dragons make it interesting because no one else can, like, you can't ferry other people R right Robbie. on the dragon. Only, only one person can ride the dragon. Okay, but the brothers could have gone together to yes. both stops. Yes, there's yeah. so much. Robbie, she is entitled to a zealous defense, and you supplied her with it. But she is convicted, <laughs> convicted. Okay, she fucked up. She fucked up. Okay, like she fucked up. If you didn't know it, you should have no, known it. But a child fell from the sky. She did. I mean. I will say, like, from a storytelling perspective, when she initially sent the boys out, I was excited for it because I got to say, I just don't care about those boys. Like, I don't care about those little boys. And so I thought, well, if they go and have their own adventures separate and apart from their mom and the kingdom and all of that, then they can do some good character development. And maybe this is when they're about to tell me about why I should be invested in this character's 100%. the way I'm invested in Eamon and his brother because they've gotten more screen time. Yeah. You know, the older brother, like, totally sucks. The king isn't even, like, got a cool look or an eye patch or anything going on. He's a to total lout and isn't interesting. But I, I, I know more about him because he's just been given more airtime on the show. His thing is weird sex stuff, which is a choice. Yeah. I... Yeah. Sure. But I know nothing about these little boys. <laughs> yeah. And I was, frankly, I was, like, a little sad that the little boy died, but, like, honestly, not even that much. And I was just disappointed that in all of that episode, all that storytelling, an hour-long episode, they didn't even give me one sentence. What happened to the older boy? I was it's looking important. forward to the character development. I'm well, really we'll see more of him. Obviously, that among the three but... of us, I'm going to be the one that's going to have him because <laughs> I definitely felt I felt Lucerus. <laughs> Listen, then, then first of all, Allison Children is a bunch of Death Eaters. Like that's that's all they are. That is none but Death Eaters. They look crazy. They look sick. <laughs> they look like all of the twists in the sky, just doing evil evil X-Men Cretan shit can't stand them so forget them but at least I'm like Lucera's little self is so adorable even from the little episodes when he was having to go fight them I I like them I think they're cute I was invested man I that was sad that little boy I was sick I was really sick like that really hurt me I was really trying to like deny it to myself like no man I just trying to see me everybody play it back like hmm maybe he swallowed the little boy like Jonah in the whale <laughs> like I, I was trying to believe anything no, I was like no wow you really no, clipped I, that I, little I'm boy with you I, I felt similar even even though I've been described as an honorary Malfoy um I, I do I'm, I'm very pro Rhaenyra and her children yeah. and and I knew it was coming but I was sad about it well <laughs> all right I guess I'm the only one like you 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 gotta you gotta make me you gotta make earn it to make me care well, let's bring you back to the beginning point that I wanted to make at the start of this episode, which is I asked you guys what you thought about it. Rob, you said you thought it was an excellent episode, and you kind of broadened your compliment to the entire season so far and that you know the, the series has been excellent. And I will agree with you that the series, I think, is excellent. I might even be more engaged more quickly than I was with Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. However, i got to say that I found this episode as an episode to be underwhelming, underwhelming especially for a season finale. I Although there's what? been a lot of, um, you know, in, in, even in the original Game of Thrones, right, often the ninth episode was the really exciting one and that the 10th was kind of wrapping things up. So I felt like maybe it was a little bit of in that tradition. I agree with you. Last week's episode, the green takeover, I, I think that was a, a better episode. Mm -hmm. But um, I, was, I was okay with this as the kind of capping things off. 
okay. Um, I don't want to... Yeah, I kind of agree with you, Brie. I agree with you. I think the episode... Like, up until, like, if it weren't for the fact that he dies at the end, the episode, like... Nothing happened. Yeah, nothing happened. It's just Renera. Like, I have been, in general, in general, underwhelmed by Renera ever since they made her an adult. Like, when when we fast-forward into the adult years, she's Mm -hmm. been real cowery and whack and soft and it's been whack to be on this team son and watching her watching her just sit there and stall her way into getting that child collect i was like wow that's an embarrassing team to be on i hate this for me in this house so yeah well, what I have you to make of, uh, of the episode kind of book ending her losing children and having another yet another one of these birthing scenes this time she palms the baby and brings out of her own womb much like uh courtney kardashian famously did <laughs> that, you mean that traumatic uh, still birthday made us watch <laughs> yeah but you can't tell me that I'm not I'm the only one who remembers when Kourtney Kardashian self-birthed Mason on live TV. It's crazy to me that you watched that traumatic ass stillbirth and you thought of the the birth of a living child. So I mean, <laughs> you, okay, I'm sorry, I cannot believe you don't remember that early episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It was the first grandchild to be born. And Courtney, the baby the doctor says, Courtney, you can reach down and touch the baby if you want, like it's crowning. An old girl, she's quiet, she's not sweating, she's not screaming. You know how she never has any emotions. She reaches down and just fully pulls the baby out like at the beginning of The Lion King and raises it up. No, no, I, I actually do not um, remember that event. However, the description <laughs> of it sounds nothing like the traumatic shit that I just witnessed. There's been critique of how there's like they exploit the birthing process and there have been too many birthing scenes and women deaths and stuff in the show. What do you make um, of you know, I mean, listen, I'm sure there's a scholarly academic take to this, and so I'm not going to dismiss that. So before anybody go to go on, say something later about my ignorant, dismissive remarks, I just acknowledge that I don't know nothing about nothing. I'm sure there's an intelligent take. But, you know, as a firm believer that these little, you know, I think pregnancy is a little weird in and of itself. Like, wow, like these children will, you know, you give, you get pregnant, and all of a sudden this creature's inside of you with no other agenda but to get out at all <laughs> At all costs, it will it will kill you to do it, and you it really used to send bitches to their maker. So I'm like, that's fine, fine with that, you know. Like it's almost like birth control. Like they're giving us free contraceptive for birth control ad every Sunday. Every time you watch that, you're like, you know what? Yeah, I, I think I'll sit this one out. There's just um. Yeah, go ahead. There's just um. There's so many kids. I mean, the the whole time jumps thing that this season did right a lot of a lot of time jumps even from not just from young to old but like there were three actors playing some of the kids you know was in order to have you a little bit bought in at least to who the kids are or knowing how they came to you know who their parents are and what the whole arrangement is Uh, because again George R. R. Martin is in charge of this one and there's going to be no dumbing it down for the audience like if he was not in charge of this if this was like Game of Thrones style I could so have easily imagined them condensing some of these children, right? Like, so there are the three brown-haired kids of Rhaenyra who are actually her kids with um, Harwin Strong. Like, you would have, you would have, that would have been condensed to two. There would have been, well, there would have been choices to, to make it easy, but there's, no, there's, right, there's three of them. There's another one. Um, they haven't been, they, they, they just talk about no, it. but one just died. So aren't there two? No, now there's, no, they now have there's the two third left time. now. Now there's the, two. Yeah. There's two still alive, but I, I think they would have cut that down. I think there would have only been two in the first place. Because remember, she's got two more with Damon now. They're blonde haired, but yeah, she has two saying. younger like, ones. With, yeah. What is the point of like? Why would she even get pregnant with a third kid? What is she trying to prove? She's got three, you know, not legitimate kids and two spares. If anyone questions the first three kids, yeah. 
Why, why would you, you know your father's on his deathbed. If the, if the, the idea is that she resents being incapacitated during the one moment she's been waiting for, for like 15, 20 years or whatever, it does feel a little bit like poor planning. Like, why are you letting your uncle knock you up so many times? Y'all People need to dying. just keep it real. Y'all need to keep it real and say homegirl is irresponsible. We're on the team of an irresponsible ass broad. I keep trying to tell y'all. I keep trying to tell y'all that. Why doesn't she have a plan? You see how quickly the Greens been pouring on her ass the whole time. They had a plan. Why don't you have a plan? You married your you married your uncle to make your claim strong and then do what? Y'all just been in here fucking? Y'all don't have no plan? No yeah, plan? No plan? Everyone, everyone until like 10 minutes ago had like 10 kids, right? That was just uh, like you didn't you didn't recognize any No, they have limits. abortion team. In the show, we know well, they is, have abortion they tea. They do have abortion tea. Yeah. Yeah. And you so, just out there. This is, this is and that's another thing. It's morning after pill. It's morning after pill. Okay. This brings me back to her second irresponsible choice. The fact of the fact of who she Excuse me. The Citadel sanctioned this. So, uh. Okay, but look, the plan thing. Like, it is crazy for Rhaenyra. So, Rhaenyra and her whole family are like a dragon's flight away. They don't have any gray worms or anybody back at the castle to inform on when their when her dad dies. Also, you're gonna let your sick ass dad sit there with this crazy broad at his side and not be worried that someone's gonna come in and kill him prematurely. Like they're just exactly protecting their interests. She has no sense, my guy. You see the woman they they don't have this man high off poppy all through the kingdom. The man is decaying in real sight. They don't took down all the Targaryen banners. They run in the council. They run in the place, girl. Mm -hmm. Obviously, she should have no she should have been on guard. The girl don't have no sense. Back to her original choices of ma'am, your husband is black. How are you gonna choose a side that a white side husband? What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Were well, you a black husband with bleach blonde hair, ma'am? What are we what are we doing? <laughs> what are and then she acting like she's doing us a favor, like, oh, you know, Lenore was out, you know, sleeping with all the gay boys. So I had to help with some kids with this white man with this brown hair girl. She's a silly girl, a silly fucking girl. Well that Robbie, when we started when this started airing and you we were talking about this on set you didn't want to spoil it for me but you alluded to when we're talking about like people who are mad about the racial casting you alluded to the idea that there might be some interesting utility to right. the race casting because the blonde hair isn't necessarily what indicate like the lack of blonde hair rather isn't necessarily what indicates that her kids aren't targaryen well, right, That's and obviously, and yeah. in the source material, House Valarian is not depicted as being dark skinned, right? So there was some brouhaha over the that racial casting, but I think it's resulted in some interesting. So there, like, there was a plot based reason to do it, even if it wasn't in the source material, in that it makes the the um, the fact that her children don't look the way they might if they were that guy's kids uh, more even more obvious than just having the hair thing because there is. Um, you know, there are, if you go through the whole Targaryen Rob dynasty, Stark there is, are some people that, right, Targaryen. that don't look, not Rob Stark, Jon Snow is. Jon Snow, 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 sorry, yeah. it's Targaryen. Yeah. So it's supposed to be like a dominant, I mean, I, they hinted at being like, yeah, the Stark hair overtakes the Targaryen, I don't know, it's it's not. It, and all, you, you all, all of the King's kids, a... all of Alicent's kids are only half Targaryen too. Right. Right. And nobody, I mean, they happen to have been blonde, but like very easily they could have come out the right. other way. Yeah. So I do kind of like the idea that the real issue is that the kids aren't black. And by the way, no that. one mentions this except for in the end, you know, in the end bits after the show where they have the actors talking about the episode. 
the guy who plays the king of the tides or whatever. Corliss. Corliss. He's fine, straight so. up like her kids are black. <laughs> listen, and I listen. I one thing I I will say that tickles me greatly about the about, about the entire season. Like I just loved a whole kingdom of white people shaming a white lady because her kids ain't black. I never thought I'd see gay, but I love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, look at that. I'm like, look at that. <laughs> Something that happens on this show is that weirdly the casting is that the the less black the kids are, like in terms of their parentage, like they the actors seem to get more black, which again yeah. I'm not complaining about, but just defining logic of what a quarter black person looks like. No, for sure, for sure, for no, for absolutely sure. And the wigs be getting crazy at these crochet <laughs> on they have on their head. Oh my god. Yeah, go ahead. I said Corliss is the only one who who looked good. Who they got the hair right on him. He Corliss fine. looks great. His 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 brother looks pretty good. And then the the woman who died, the dragon stuff. I thought she was stunning. Oh yeah, uh, she was pretty gorgeous. No yeah, she was my favorite, and I wish that she had lasted longer. I like the idea of her riding the biggest dragon. I hope one of her daughters, the one that was that cute little kind of chubby girl, I hope that she grows up. Kills Amon and takes that big dragon back from her her mom's dragon back. I hate Vega with a personal with a personal. I have a personal issue with with that dragon now. <laughs> like I, I really do. I'm like I wish all the other dragons could get together and gang him, just to like burn him up <laughs> in a blaze of fire. I can't stand Vega's ass. That was so like, bruh. That you ain't what? even feel a little bit of fire. That little baby dragon <laughs> blow on you. Like look how you gave it up, son. That's so childish. He's so child. He ain't even eat. He ain't even eat it for real. Just chomped him up and spit him out just to be a dickhead. That's a dickhead dragon. <laughs> Let's ask Ravi about this because there was an allusion to the fact that so so what we found out in this this episode is that um, Damon's strategy is that because they have dragons, they're like whatever. We have nukes. At the end of the day, we can overcome the biggest armies in the world. And he starts rattling off all the dragons in there at their disposal. The other side only has three dragons, and they like have a bunch of dragons, and there's wild dragons that exist in their territory. And I was like, what now? Wild dragons? What's the deal with the wild dragons? Yeah, so it's important to recognize that only the Targaryens and then some of the Valarians, by virtue of their kind of close genetic um, uh, history, um, they're the only people who can ride the dragons. And there's a finite number of dragons. And sometimes the dragon eggs don't hatch. There's not like hundreds of dragons out there. There's a, there's like, like he counted them off. There's like two or three dozen. And then there's some eggs. And, and so you've not had a, and, and then also the seven kingdoms were conquered by the Targaryens specifically because they had dragons and it really didn't matter how big the armies of the, of the defenders were. Well, they had dragons. <laughs> You're like, dragons are the nukes. They're the trump card. There hasn't been a lot of dragon versus dragon because, you know, all the Targaryens have mostly been on the same side. There have been a couple scuffles previously. But so now the question is, well, what happens when it's not just dragons versus armies, in which case dragons clearly win, but dragons versus armies and other dragons? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, the dragon rules are that you can only ride one dragon. You bond with a dragon, and then that is your dragon until the day you die. A dragon, after you die, your dragon can get a new rider, just as um, the, uh, the Valarian uh, woman who died, then Aemon comes in and steals Vagar. But you can't, if your dragon dies, you're not going to get a new dragon. But if there's an unclaimed dragon, as there are a few, you know, maybe from eggs that hatched on Dragonstone, it's a dragony place, obviously. 
Um, those dragons are just kind of like roaming the caves. There's a few of them. Or maybe they're older dragons that their riders died and then no one claimed them. So they, there's availability for new dragons to take new riders in, in, at the home team base at Dragonstone, which so is what think I think that- Damon was doing when he was singing to that very scary looking dragon down there, which was, is not his dragon and, then, and thus not one he can ride because he already has one. Mm-hmm. But someone else theoretically could ride that dragon. So who do am I right? So does everyone do all of the all of the kids, all of Rhaenyra's kids have dragons now? Yes, although the two the very I mean they're basically babies. The the uh, another Aegon and Viserys, the little her kids with Daemon, they have dragon eggs. I don't know if they've hatched yet. I think they might have really really tiny like basically geckos as dragons. Okay, so speaking of dragons, are we going to talk about the Amazing scene at the end of the last episode where old girl Rainus, 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 yeah, something Rhaenys like that, yeah, busts Rhaenys. up through the floor on her dragon, Beautiful. disrupts the coronation of the faux king Aegon, has like threatens to basically obliterate them all in a hail of fire, decides not to, turns around and leave. What do that, we make of that decision? That was that was my bitch, but it would have been better if she really got a crack in and really lit them on fire. <laughs> like, I don't, I just, they, they're not enough people moving. Like, they have a dragon for me. Like, like let's <laughs> let's start lighting people up. Let's, let's light up the night sky. <laughs> yeah, I, I also wanted her to torch them. And, and then the, in the post-episode discussion from the producers, which I got to say never adds to it. It only displays how much they did not meet their goals mm-hmm. or had stupid goals. One of the, the producers says, or directors, whatever, says that uh, because she was a mother looking at another mother, she was reluctant to torch the family. Oh my God. Like, like, what no. kind of bullshit is that? No, no. That's tell very the stupid. truth. Tell the truth. Y'all need to keep y'all need to keep this going. Y'all need there to be war so she can't light up all these people right now. That's the only explanation. Because what they was about, they literally just was gonna light on fire if she's not gonna sneak out this like this room. What are we talking about? They're gonna kill old girl. I don't think they were going to, I mean, if I was to try to, I agree, it didn't make a lot of sense. If I was trying to construct a, a, a logical, it would not be that, that she looked at a mother. That's so stupid. And this is why I never watch those things. They, they give stupider answers than what I myself can come up with. They, well, she, she is sort of, now she's clearly, her and her husband have committed to Rhaenyra after the, the final episode. But mm-hmm. at that point, she was still kind of neutral while historically more partial to Rhaenyra. Remember, she kind of thinks Rhaenyra had her son killed. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is there is a kinslaying taboo. Like you you're not supposed to like you're bad if you kill your family before they've done anything to like start the fight. So I can see her saying like okay, will- you imprison me, you are you know, I've I've fucked up your coronation. Screw you, but I'm out. I, I will I'm not my table. Those. I'm gone. I I I can I can accept it. I would. I, I, I will accept. I can accept it. I will accept the as far as you know. She still thought Renarin and them was involved in in killing her son. I'll give yeah. it that. Except though, in fairness, at this point, they done made it personal because they locked my girl up. They was gonna right. take her out if she ain't bending knee. Right. So that's I don't personal. They, I don't think they were gonna. I know they. Bro, they hung the rest of the folk. I yeah. don't think they would have hung her because she's too, because um, her husband has the whole Navy. I think they would have like kept her prisoner to stop her husband from, from joining Rhaenyra. I don't, 
I think she's too power. Like, well, well those okay, were the well, lesser me, lords. Me, those me, are like that's regardless. Like the, okay, the stupid well, count who lives. Whether down you the street, plan like, to kill me or imprison me is bait to control my yeah, husband. Sure. That is still grounds for me to light you the fuck mm-hmm. up. Like, mm-hmm. But no, so my bro- she- my brother had just watched it. He texted me. He's like, I can't believe the tight towers were just like executing all these i'm like th- those were not that was not the baratheons those were not aarons those were not starks those were not lannisters those are not tyrells those are like those are the local those are the peasant lords of the neighborhood they were not they don't have that much boldness well what the episode the last episode says when she explains why she didn't light them up she says something along the lines of it wasn't my war to start yeah i heard about that bullshit take some agency do you know what i mean it could have been your war to finish it might not have been a war if you had just let them all up but let me ask you this let me maybe this is a question for you robbie since you are with the learned scholar here and the book the book reader is there some concern that if she tried to burn up the whole family because some portion of them have Targaryen blood they wouldn't burn well, so that is an invention, really, for the TV show um, that that the Argarians can't burn. I mean, they can burn, like in all the source material, they, they do burn to fire. That one time Daenerys walked into fire and did not burn is kind of like a miracle. Like that's not actually a common trait of the Targaryens of the source material. They did have that be a thing for Daenerys, and then they repeated it for her. So it's not. I, I think I think they would burn if she set them on fire. Um, I mean, she could have faced, honestly, if she did it and then flew to Dragonstone and was like, yeah, they tried to usurp your throne and I just killed them all. Like, it's possible they go, okay, thanks. But now, like, you're going to be executed for, like, killing Targaryens. I mean, like, there's a lot of, like, okay, you did the right thing situationally, but it's still a high crime to, do you know what I mean, to attack a member of the royal family. Like, that kind of stuff happens all the time. People are like, wait, wait a minute. I thought you would want me to do that. So... I don't know. And she did also, also, we're just glossing over the fact, it's funny because we're all rooting for it, right? Like, it was a great moment of triumph because basically the Greens at this point are pretty much the bad guys and mostly the Rhaenyra faction is pretty much the good guys, maybe not Damon, whatever. And so we're rooting for Rhaenys when she does this. She does casually murder, like, dozens at least, maybe more of, of small folk, of peasants. Fish-tosh. Small, <laughs> <laughs> right? They don't. They don't. They don't matter. Um, I, I would suggest that this characteristic indifference to like regular people suffering may become a problem, not just for the Greens, but for Rhaenyra's own faction, which engages in this quite a bit. Because mm-hmm. the folks in the comments are saying that like dragon fire is different, and I think that's consistent too, because they they incinerate, they burn themselves, they cremate themselves using dragon fire, right. not regular fire which suggests that even if they can survive regular fire, that the dragon fire works. Yeah, I don't, but, but Daenerys' brother, Viserys, remember, he's killed by molten gold. Mm-hmm. Actually, in a strange echo, someone pointed out to me how... how uh, so Viserys is the name of Daenerys' brother from just the first season of Game of Thrones, but he is named after the king in, for most of this series, King Viserys, who, who actually has that mask half covering his face of gold, mm. which uh, is almost echoed by how uh, the, the later Viserys dies, mm-hmm. which I thought was, it was pointed out to me on social media. It was very interesting. I forgot about that perv. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've covered Remus, who, again, I would want to be on the Iron Throne if I had my druthers. I think she's the number one baddest bitch. 
Her husband has all of the boats. She was wronged. I'm really looking forward to whatever reuniting ends up happening with her kid when he gets to come back and hopefully live his life open and proud and out. Please. I, like, she has everything going for her. She's got all those pretty granddaughters. Like, I, I'm entirely here for her. Everybody else, I got to say, I'm, I'm particularly, okay, let's talk about this aspect of it. Do we think that part of Rhaenyra's softness is because she's really caught up in her childhood friendship slash maybe a little bit of a sapphic situation going on there and that little page from the book that um, Allison sent her? I think deep down, and I, this is probably an unpopular opinion. Y'all don't have to agree with me. But I think, first of all, and I, I, I feel like deep down she feels this way, and this is how I feel. She doesn't truly have the, like, the strongest claim to the throne. Like, Viserys, you know, Viserys switched it up because he thought he did, like, he made some rash decisions in the moment when he thought he was going to have a son, he was going to get remarried, and then two seconds later he had a son. He could have avoided all this drama and nonsense by just, you know, making Aegon. Not that Aegon should be. It's the song of ice and fire. He had a vision. (laughs) Child, that man, him and them damn visions. That's the weakest, raggediest king. (laughs) Nice guy. I really like Viserys. Oh, he's a great king. A sweetie. Oh, a great queen. Oh, who? It's refreshing to have a, a king depicted anywhere, especially in Game of Thrones, who is not like outwardly cruel yeah, he's or the, tyrannical. He's, uh, I mean, first of all, he, yes, he's nice. Yes, I give it to you. He's, he's, he is nice. He is nice. He is not a good king. <laughs> he does not make good decisions. Also, I want to acknowledge that no matter who is sitting on the damn Iron Throne, it is not lost upon me that quite literally the minute they open the doors to the kingdom, everybody outside is destitute, broke, covered in dirt. <laughs> so all these people are quite literally living high off the fucking hog at the expense of all the people in King's Landing. So now none of them are quite so good. But Viserys is a raggedy king. He be making crazy, silly choices. He should have never made Rhaenyra. Um, um, there's way more trouble than it was worth. Constant trouble. And then you go and you have Otto Hightower, like, bringing him back. Lord, the man is a fool's son. Yo, your wife been wearing army war green every single day for 10 years. <laughs> declaring war on your, your, your woman and her bastard children every day in the kingdom. And you sitting around trying to come by y'all. You should have known it was going to get cracking. Listen. Viserys, Viserys, and 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 Alice and Rhaenyra have the same problem. Their enemy is literally sitting in plain sight, telling them, "Hey, I fucking hate you. I'm your enemy. I am your enemy." And they'd be like, "Hmm, la 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 la." la. What did you think then of the fact that, like, we talked about how the Greens all had a plan to put Aegon on the throne regardless of what Viserys said and regardless of the weird, like, miscommunication at the end where Alicent genuinely believes that her husband changed his mind on his deathbed. But even if that hadn't happened, they were all, they all had a plan. Like, what do you make of the fact that Alicent seems, like, surprised? Like, she didn't actually have a plan. Yeah, she, she, well... I, I think she would have found a way to convince herself that mm. she was supposed to put her darling child on the Iron Throne regardless. And, you know, we're very good at lying to ourselves, right? She's clearly very practiced at it. And I, she has made herself sincerely believe that, oh, yeah, no, no, I was totally going to support Rhaenyra, but, yeah. oh, well, he just changed his mind. I guess guess I have to do that. And it, it's a credit to the actress that I think she really does sell that. She's selling, like, a a fake but self-deluded conviction that 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 is what Viserys 
wanted her to do, which you're right, is totally different from what her own father was planning with Lannister and some of the others that they were, they were going to do this regardless. This was in the works forever. And then in, in, that, in that last episode, the ninth episode rather than the 10th episode, there's actually even some tension there. It, it's kind of, it's actually kind of silly tension because it's going to come to the same end regardless between Alicent and her father, Otto. Like they're both trying to get Aegon, but not be like, they're both trying to put him on the throne, but Alicent wants to like get him privately and be like, Hey, you have to, you should not like command Rhaenyra's death. And Otto wants to actually get him separately and be like, yeah, we should just actually kill everyone. And, um, and, and like that whole thing going on. But yeah, they like, they were clearly going to do this anyway, because they were just in place to do it. And I always right that Rhaenyra totally set herself up for this by being absent from King's Landing by not, you know, seeing just how um, craven and desperate and malicious her former friends had become. But, um, but I don't know. I think she's, she's going to learn real quick what you oh, have she, to do if you um, want that throne. Yeah, possession <laughs> is nine-tenths of the law, and she just fully skied up away from the Iron Throne. That just seems so silly. Listen, I, I, listen, I understood Lee. Well, they kept, they kept telling her, the they kept calling her kids bastards when so she got sick of it. I'm not going, I'm, I'm going to give Renera some, some bail right there. The block was hot when she left. Like, they, they was on her head, okay? Like, I, I was like, woo, this is getting uncomfortable for me, even me. Yeah, girl, go to Dragonstone. But by the time when they have... came back and, and Viserys was quite literally the walking dead, they should have, they should have said, wait a minute. They see, you've noted that they're running the council. They have all their symbols up there, girl. You need to, you right. need to stay put. She should have known them. But also the whole time, from the time, from the time these people started openly, Allison once went to, at you, literally damn near slashed you with the knife, went to go stab up your child. Like that happened, bro. That's your enemy. She should have been plotting her moves from then. They should have had a whole plan in place. Okay, but they didn't make up. Oh, I mean, my favorite, that was my, my favorite ass. line. Make up it, my ass. Now, now they see you for what you are. I've been, I've been overusing that line. I say it to like my dogs when they screw something up. <laughs> Caesar, did you have an accident? <laughs> now they see you for what you are. <laughs> well, come on, you, you guys, you guys, I guess didn't take, to, uh, you know, really weren't really invested in the whole makeup dinner scene. You didn't take much from it. Well, I, I mean, I thought it was great, but I knew that it was. I mean, from knowing the source material, I knew that there was not, not a lot was going to come from it. The minute you fu- let me let me let me let me give y'all a little a little lesson about like let me give y'all some free advice. Once you fuck your friend's daddy, the relationship is it's changed. Okay, it's done. It's done. That's not your home girl any fucking more. <laughs> like that's just that's, that's just the truth. Let alone the child. Then you produce a child and marry your friend's daddy, and you and this child and y'all constantly plotting on my inheritance. It's beef. It's up. It's up. It is stuck. We know this. Yeah, like. <laughs> Your children are demons. I could see it. I know demons when I see demons. <laughs> okay, but, but answer me this, Elliot, because it, like I, I agree that that's how like a normal relationship would go. But the show keeps trying to tell us that there was a real connection between these two women. That on some level they missed them, missed each other, and their estrangement all of these years. That they were happy to have an excuse to reconnect during that famous dinner, and that there is still some affection, like as Robbie described. The fact that Allison was running around seemingly in good faith, trying to prevent Rhaenyra from being murdered, even though she wanted to take the throne, she didn't want to take her life, suggests that there is a there there. There's some there's something there that wants I'm, to still I'm, reconnect with. Rhaenyra. I have an I have, I have an answer for you. I have an I have, I have an answer for you. Several things. First of all, it's because there's no therapy in King's Landing. Second of all, <laughs> it's because. 
The last thing Allison did before she had to spend 30 years fucking Beetlejuice was be friends with Renero. okay? That's the last fond memory she recalls over there, okay? And and Renera keeps getting all her every, all her little home. You you done popped my y'all done lit up my last my last side boy. My one before that is now your bitch maid, okay? And now y'all calling my children bastards all the time. My uncle was on the run. It's been hot for me. The last time things were chill was when I was kicking it with you. But if they had some therapy to sort through all of that, it'd be a different a different thing. Uh, but you, you got a, you got a flea bottom for that, Alimi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I agree. I think, I mean, okay. Allison's, by marrying the king, Allison's station in life improved dramatically. Okay, of so all not these gonna... sociopathic people you might have to marry in the Game of Thrones universe to become wealthy and, like, not starve to death, she made out better than no, a no, lot of no, them. No, Let's no, no, no. Let's be clear. Because, like, right, some people had to marry Ramsay or Joffrey That was a decaying man. Y'all, listen. Y'all, if y'all ain't gonna give Allison no credit, go shoot her some bail today. It's, that woman was, she was, you all saw what Viserys, Viserys was literally, there was holes in the man. He was, okay. he was dying alive. Immediately though, he, he was uh, mostly intact. Uh, his arm is gone by like, by like the third episode. What you mean? He was decaying. Well, that's good. Then she doesn't have to sleep with them anymore. It's an ideal situation to girl, be Girl, they you you saw they had Beetlejuice rocking on that girl. Imagine that, man. Imagine <laughs> at, that. At least he's nice. I mean, take. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like, look at like the range of sadists yeah, in, yeah. in the Westeros universe. With, you yeah. could do a lot. Y'all worse. make me so sick. I hate that there are no dying people, no decaying people. Like that's not a thing I could just go <laughs> find. We oh, all have to make out with. You don't remember Lily Allen's brother and how he treated Joe Jonas's wife so terribly? Beyond was, was insane. Got also, it. I, okay, was, it took me a minute. That was like a, that was like a fun little yeah. And Theon. Oh, you mean yeah. Ramsey Bolton? Ramsey, yeah. Well, let me tell you. Let me explain something, y'all. While Ramsey is evil personified, he was at least not the living dead. <laughs> like, like, like. Wait, you would rather a sadist who's murdering dogs and cutting off pieces of people than a girl, guy who's a little bit of leprosy? Girl, if he doesn't have a decaying carcass on top of me, girl, you're oh ableist. This is this is ableism right here. I actually, no, I did no, not care. No, what are you talking about, girl? I don't know any zombies. That is not a protected class. Zombies not, are not a protected class, girl. I did not care for that. The Ramsey actor, I actually did not. That was not my favorite portrayal, um, in part because, I mean, the actor is handsome, so the character was fine-looking, even though in the source material he's supposed to be that, very gross and bloated <laughs> and creepy-looking. Not the actual trail was a little over the top for me even for for I, I felt the same way about Euron uh of, like of the you know crazy psychotic bad people from original Game of Thrones I, Joffrey Joffrey the, not the Joffrey in this show the Joffrey from Game of Thrones I thought was perfect he was exactly what that character was supposed to be the portrayal was perfect the Ramsey was a little it was a little bit because he, he they also made him like 
like super intelligent, like he easily kills his father and does all these other things. I mean, this is going down a rabbit hole, but I didn't. I, it, I, by then it was like, okay, whatever. I didn't read I the know. source material, but I, I actually found him to be terrifying and that the scenes with him and Sansa were haunting. You should read him in the, in the book. He is so scary. I want you to know he is scary he is in the show. Ten times scarier. <laughs> he is fucking terrifying <laughs> in the show. <laughs> I want to talk about the Sansa's one thing. Like, oh, we... this guy, he's so over the top. Okay, yeah, he oh, cut oh. off. Okay, great. But before yeah. I lose you too, because I know that we've been going for about an hour, and I don't expect you to stay here all night. I'm going to take one audience question. Chris here says that he has a game, a, a Game of Thrones, House of Dragons related question. So you have the floor, Chris. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. All right. Um. So first of all, I agree with pretty much ninety percent of what all y'all have been saying. Um. As far as Olemi go, oh my god, calling him the fucking zombie, the Walking Dead. Yo, he literally was like falling apart every. <laughs> Thank episode. you. Thank you. A whole every episode is falling apart. It is just like, oh. Uh, but it's kind of, it's kind of, kind of funny because it was like when, uh, when y'all first started talking and everything, y'all was talking about where did the beef kind of stand from as far as um, Allison and uh, Renera. It was like, in my personal opinion, it kind of felt like, it was like, it came out of left field. So it was like, you were mad, you were mad at Renera's because she didn't tell you about who she was fucking. I don't know about you, but I don't think friends work like that. That's just no. weird. That's, that's not why so weird. Seen, that's not why she mad. She's mad because she's jealous. <laughs> I got relegated to fucking Beetlejuice and my right, best yeah. friend is fucking the cutest little boys in the kingdom and lying about it. He's not even giving exactly. me the key, son. It, that, that's, that's honestly what I think it is. Like, that's she had to jealousy. Fuck the that's all I know. She had to fuck the Crypt Keeper. Um, like, exactly. that's literally Exactly. Like, Imagine you so fucking those Nosferatu and your girl out here fucking a Backstreet Boy. That's crazy. You hate and that yeah. to yourself. But no hating ass friend is ever going to be like that. <laughs> Hold on, no, no. We got... Wasn't the falling out over her lying about having had sex with her uncle? But that's none of her business. First of all. First of all. Because I think it's everybody's business if you're fucking your uncle. <laughs> you know, I've had, I've had to, in order for us to the continue feet the don't show, lie. The, the, the feet incest. don't lie. <laughs> Robbie's mad about her little slut turn with the foot, the foot, the foot well, fetish. hypocritical. Yes! Oh, oh my ooh, god, exactly. You mad about this, so, but you got you got you got another um you got to do with the goddamn cane and stuff like that who literally loves your and, feet and, also, and you're giving the feet off. Like, and also, let judge. me get this right. You know what? Hold on. That's a great point. I'm glad y'all brought that up. Let's go back yes, to the goal. So let me get this right. It's the ultimate fucking disrespect for, for Renera to want you to be a side dude. But you mean to tell me mm. you cool with being a lap dog Preach. to Allison while Allison put no foot on for Laris? You not getting no pussy from Alex and you messing with Laris? Laris? Oh, fucking North That's that what he is. He's North Farasu. He's literally yes. that. Yes, down Come bad. On. Come on. Down bad. He's down preposterous. Come There's on. nobody down or badder than Sir Kristen Cole. Whole lot of murdering just to look at the feet. Not even it, touch them. That's like, crazy, son. It's going to escalate. It always escalates. Like, it is. You know, you know, you know Laris is this. My girl can't even look at him. She is take up and them and them feet, Lord God. Why that woman's feet look like she is walk, walking sweet? <laughs> the girl. Oh my god. She all is absurd. So uh oh my my, my my question. Um so this question is for uh uh Robbie. Um when uh Damon actually uh when he went into the tomb and he found I think the, the dragon was 
Vildemore for Villamore for something like that. Is he actually bigger than Vagor or they're like roughly the same size? Because he looked like he was pretty fucking humongous. This is, yeah, this is a very big dragon, not as big as Vagar. Vagar is one of the three original dragons that the first Aegon used to conquer Westeros. He was married to his two sisters, Visenya and another woman named Rhaenys. Rhaenys, This Rhaenys is named after her. And there were three dragons that conquered the Seven Kingdoms. And the other two are dead because that was like, I think that was 120-ish years ago. But so Vagar is the biggest and baddest dragon because he's the one of the first three. But Vermithor, who I don't remember who Vermithor's original rider was, is also pretty big and fearsome, though though not not as big as nobody's bigger than Vagar. Mm-hmm. The dragons oh. are getting smaller over time. They're getting smaller over time, and and also it just takes like they live they can live for hundreds of years, and the longer they live, the bigger they get. Mm-hmm. They get maybe maybe they get slower, and but they get they get bigger and scarier so okay oh okay all right um i I did have um i have one more question um as far as like game of thrones and everything um if you could compare a politician to any of the game of thrones characters who would you do so let's just say Mm. joe biden who would you compare him to joe biden Hmm. that's easy right kind of uh He's a little bit like the king in that he's like well-meaning-ish, but kind no. of out of touch. I don't know. It's basic, yeah. I guess. Nah. He, what if you expand into the broader Game of Thrones universe? Because I think that he yeah. has that, Throughout oh, the my charm is going to get me everywhere with no substance vibe mm. of like a Baratheon. Like I'm mm. just going to be jolly and everyone's going to think I'm a real good dude, but I'm not going to like be in charge or in control of anything. I, I, I can see him as the Baratheon. Viserys is dying. Like in the yeah, Viserys dying years. Is it Baratheon? Who was married to The um, Tyrells. Uh, well, yeah, Tyrell. Yeah, Tyrell. Yeah, I think uh, it's more uh, like the, the Tyrells. Tyrell, yep. The flower people. But the women Tyrells were great. There are no women. Yes, they were. Yeah, yeah, they were. They they were clearly better than the men, and not that it was clearly highlighted with Olena, because Olena is actually the baddest person in Game of Thrones. Point blank. Oh, I agree. One hundred percent. Olena is just. I agree. Yeah. I, I call. Um, I've been calling the foot guy Buddha Judge because I just think he looks like. <laughs> That's you. You are you are highly disrespectful. Be Buddha that is Judge your left is you talking. Be Buddha Judge needs to beat you up. <laughs> He's useless. He is I'm absolutely wrong. useless. <laughs> he Buttigieg looks like a who from Whoville. That's who he looks like. <laughs> that's like what, exactly. That's what the club man looks like. Excuse me, I don't mean to identify him by that. What's his name? <laughs> Not, right. So I was uh, ableist when I was talking about the zombies, but you fucking know who his foot name is. real. <laughs> 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 and neither is Viserys. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh-huh. Viserys wasn't tore up like, the entire time. He he disintegrated, but he had some good years <laughs> left in him. No, sir. Uh, Viserys is um Jimmy Carter. That's what I was saying. I was gonna say that too. Ooh, yes, yeah. I I thought that earlier, but I didn't want to just slander Jimmy Carter unprovoked. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like he's a good guy. He tried to do the right thing, but he was very ineffective. Yeah, and child. He had no control over anything. And yeah, child. He got out of there. So yeah, yeah. it was Allison. Who's Allison? Mm-hmm. Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn. Allison. So in the post-episode thing, they apparently told her to play her like a Trump supporter, a female Trump supporter. What? But I what? feel like she's giving big Hillary vibes. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. like a, like leaning a Karen-ish. In. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can definitely see Mesa like more. It's her so, like, time. Yeah, it's her time. It is her time. A carceral feminist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I got to take this. I know and everything. It, it, it is my time. I have to rule. That's what it is. So who yeah. you say Hightower is? Because he's clearly strategic, and but he's also like, uh, he's uh, he's the worst. He's the worst. He's like a he's a this is he's a mid level career bureaucrat. Yeah, deep state oh, kind oh, of. He's the DNC chair. What's his face? Oh, Tom Perez. Tom Perez. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh my God, we nailed <laughs> y'all nailing these. I ain't yeah. gonna lie. I get this. Yeah. We was a little rough. We was there. All right, last one. Um, who would be? All right, we're going to go broader Game of Thrones universe. Who would you consider Littlefinger? I say Ted Cruz. First of all, that is... You are so disrespecting the shit out of Littlefinger. He is way more... No, Littlefinger is worse. Yeah, but he ain't no dummy. You're right, you're right. He ain't no dummy. Don't disrespect that man like that. (laughs) Ted Cruz. No, man. Um, I feel like you got to give him somebody a lot more sinister like a DeSantis, but DeSantis is more main character energy. So it has to be somebody else. Yeah, yeah. DeSantis would be a, like a king of I just want everyone to be blue to judge. I'm not helpful here. <laughs> you want everyone <laughs> everyone I don't like, I'm just like, you got to find... So who's, a, use, who's a useless character? Because if, if we have a useless Iowa. character... Who? Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, Beto. Someone in the chat says, Beto is Littlefinger, and I don't trust him. That's, that's, that's some powerful. That's some wild. Mm. That he should sue you for defamation. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like he's like a whispering in people's ear. He's he's like an inner yeah. operative, right? He's maybe he's Obama. Like, well, Ooh, but Obama's disrespect. the draw. Whoa, 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 like, whoa, 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 whoa! I'm talking about Obama was the one that ended the NBA strike, calling people up, getting yeah, them to drop out of the You party. know what? Yeah, God, it's damn. too late for me to cape for Obama tonight. He does. Yeah. Yeah. You know what it is? I, I was one of those Obama voters, so yeah, I remember the days when we I thought all he was the were. Yeah, yeah. Well, not he was the greatest thing since like, <laughs> not realized, <laughs> can't realized after the eight years, it was a whole lot of nothing, and we just accepted it because I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm mean, still dealing with that. Wow, so like... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, all right, guys. I appreciate y'all having uh, my car, uh, you know, having this conversation with me. And uh, love you, Robbie. Love you, Olimi. Love y'all guys. Love Rising and everything like that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, Take sweet. care. I saw I saw one other person. Uh, Harvey J says that they also have a Game of Thrones question, so I'll bring them up, and then I won't keep you guys any longer because you've been very generous with your time. And then we'll get to talking about Haiti and whatnot. So, Sounds Harvey good. J, what's on your mind? Hey, hi. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. All right, all right. So I'm glad that we did this episode because, and I wasn't sure if we were okay with spoilers and all because uh, the app didn't send me a notification. But I'm just gonna go ahead and talk about it. Um, first of all, uh, I really love what the show is doing. Like in the books, it's a, a, a lot more clear cut. Like the greens are just evil, and the blacks are the ones who are not the not the nicest people, but they have the stronger claim or whatever. That's what that's that's what my reading was. But in the actual show, they show them as there's like a gray area in the middle where all all of them have good and bad. And even though Alison, uh, according to the books, is just a terrible person. In the show, she is bad, but uh, it's, a, it's a little bit still. You, you kind of feel a little bit of sympathy for her. And uh, so, like, in the book, the, the chase that uh, Eamon gives to Lucerys before uh, Vhagar just jumps both of them down. Uh, in the books, it's portrayed as that uh, Eamon just wanted to kill him and he ended up killing him. 
Whereas in the in the books in the show you see that they both sort of like lost control of their dragons. Give mm-hmm. me a call back to this line from Viserys that uh, uh, mm-hmm. that we con- uh, it's an illusion that we control dragons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think my question was, uh, do you th- uh, maybe Robbie might give me an eye roll for this one? Let's see. But do you think dragons uh, nukes are like the dragons of our time, where? You know, you have the Greens, the USA, cooing everywhere, and suddenly you have military forces <laughs> chasing each other. Oh, sorry, what was that? Oh, I said, look at you trying to have intelligent discussion. Didn't you proceed? <laughs> no, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think what George R. R. Martin, I, I believe, has acknowledged that he he views the dragons in that way to some degree, and yeah, I think it's unavoidable uh, because even in the in the sort of if you just look at medieval warfare, there's nothing equivalent. To, to the insurmountable advantage that the dragons are giving people who have them in Game of Thrones. You know, you can have greater catapult technology or siege weaponry or something, or even, even the introduction of guns, you know, versus cavalry is this just tr- tremendous advantage in medieval warfare. There's nothing, it's, it's not, nothing compared to, compared to this. So then, but then this specific conflict of this show where there are dragons on both sides does absolutely raise some of the questions that even that we're having right now about the Ukraine-Russia conflict, where it's like, okay, well, Russia should not have invaded. They are bad. But, like, are we going to have World War Three or the equivalent of, like, dragon versus dragon, everyone burns conflict over whatever this, you know, territorial claim is, which is almost something Rhaenyra brings up herself, you know, despite obviously wanting to sit the Iron Throne eventually. She says something like that to Damon or some other people being like, well, I have some response because I feel I am the right ruler. Don't I have some responsibility if I can mm-hmm. avoid it not having the entire countryside burn? Which I is don't almost be the, the choice. Of ashes or something yeah. Right, like that. Yeah. right, right. Which, which again is something Daenerys said, and then she goes ahead and does that exact thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it's a very. I guess some people would say it's an on the nose comparison, but I, I think it's unavoidable and actually very apt. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the only thing that it gives me, uh, like, what scares me is that you know there were reports today or yesterday about. U.S. troops doing exercises or some like simulating war with Russia on the border, uh, in, somewhere in the border of Ukraine with uh, Romanian or one of those Slavic country uh, forces. And that's just like when you are that close to the line of control, let's say, and you end up accidentally firing on enemy troops. I, I don't know what that leads to. So it's just, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Vigar could chomp down Luceris and... Um, mm-hmm. Eric's pretty, uh, by some mistake, you know, someone could lose control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is that? What, there's some famous story about how there was um, someone got the signal. I forget which side it, it was, but like either Russians thought that a nuke was coming their way. I think it was Russians got the signal that uh-huh, a nuke had been uh-huh. launched and they were like all ready to do their programmed response, which was to hit the button and like go all out nuclear warfare. And then just someone in the room was like, no. That was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, that was during the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? They called called each other on the red telephone that they had between uh, U.S. and Russia, I guess, or something like that. You know, there was – it was something – it wasn't the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was something else that had happened. I'm sorry I'm being so bad at this. This is not my area. But at the end of the day, it was just like someone said, let me just give it a beat, and it turns out there had been a machine malfunction, and no nuke obviously had been launched. And if someone had just been following protocol or been a little bit more Mm. hasty, we would be – you know, we would be living Mm -hmm. in a very different world. So I like that analogy about the, uncontrollab- the mm-hmm. uncontrollable nature of the dragons, not just the power of them, but the fact that you, they're unpredictable a little bit. <laughs> um, so thank you for calling in. 
Robbie, Ole, this has been an absolute delight. Is there anything else you wanted to say or any points we didn't get to? No, no. I feel like I sufficiently got my mess off. <laughs> I'm good, too. Uh, I will see you tomorrow, Brianna. See you, Robbie, bright and early. Everybody remember to follow, like, watch Rising, like the videos, and write comments underneath explaining why you agree with my point of view, Lay's <laughs> point of view, so much more than Robbie's. <laughs> We're fighting an uphill battle in the comments, and I need all I of the drama. I am not fighting. Show. I accepted the oh, loss. Lord. I do not. I, I'm outgunned on YouTube. <laughs> I stick to the Twitter streets. <laughs> but you're killing it on Twitter, Olay. And if you aren't already, and I'm sure you all are, do follow Olay and me because not only is she tweeting straight facts about uh, police reform, what's going on in Rikers and all of these things, she is also putting out these hilarious little short videos about Game of Thrones and other pop culture events happening. So don't miss out. Thank you to you both. You're delightful. Thank you, Thank y'all. You, Bye. Bye. Right, bye. All right, I will start taking callers about the episode at hand. We talked about the ongoing conflict in Haiti right now and the threat of U.S. intervention. No war, Chris. What's on your mind? Can you unmute yourself, Chris? Are you still with us? All right, Chris, if you if this is an app issue or if you've just stepped away for a second, I will look for you in the back of the queue. Pierre, you're up next. Ooh. Are we having a technical issue? What's going on with the app today? Pierre going once. Pierre going twice. I know you guys are, are newbies. You guys know how to use the app and everything. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna move it on, Pierre. Again, I'll look for you at the back of the line. You and no name Chris. Not Eric Gray. <laughs> Eric Smith. How are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing quite well, thank you. What's on your mind? Nothing much. I just had to say I was really excited to hear you guys talk about Game of um, House of Dragons. I'm a big fan of that show. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I know that some people are curmudgingly in the chat talking about, I came here to talk about serious issues. We're all, we're all into serious issues. We had one hour of levity. I hope everybody can tolerate that. <laughs> I'm just going to say one thing, just a little bit of information, and then I'll move on to, like, serious stuff. Okay. If you don't know, the actually original prequel that was supposed to be the new Game of Thrones show was going to star Naomi Watts. And they actually put, like, $35 million into it, but canceled it because they didn't like the pre, uh, the pilot that shot. Wait, who was Naomi Watts supposed to be playing? I think, if I'm not remembering, if I remember correctly, I believe it was supposed to be... The dance of either it was supposed to be when um, the original Aegon the Conqueror came in and she was mm. playing one of the sisters, or it was supposed to be the actual war. They weren't going to like so how you know how they did it with this season. They showed you the the rise of the Greens and the Blacks. I believe the original was going to start right at the moment where they're fighting. So she was going to be Rhaenyras at a much older age. It was one of those two. I just can't remember. Interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. That Well, obviously they canceled for a reason, so it definitely wasn't going to work out. So I'm glad they did because I think they got a much better show. Do you think there's something to the fact that there's not really, like, recognizable actors? I mean, like, I'm not – there's obviously a couple of people. I mean, the the 
what do you call it? The phone booth guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Doctor Who. What's his name? Damon is uh, Doctor oh, Who. Oh, Matt right? Smith. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with him, but I'm told that he is famous from that. You know, there were a couple people, well, Lily Allen's brother and whatnot, in the first one. But generally speaking, these are not like big name actors. Well, when it comes to when it comes to shows like these, a lot of more times the idea of the, you know, hot actor, hot star really selling things doesn't really happen that much as often, even with movies. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you put a rock, if you put a Tom Cruise in something, Mm -hmm. there is a bump, but it's not a guarantee to be a success like it used Mm -hmm. to be back in like the 80s and the 90s. Uh, Something like a Game of Thrones, you sell that off of Game of Thrones. So you can put whoever you want in that. People are going to watch it because it's Game of Thrones. People yeah, are going to watch it. the money on Naomi Watts. Yeah. Also, no Why, offense yeah. to Naomi Watts, but like, I don't know that that's especially a draw. Yeah, Naomi Watts is not a draw. I mean, great actress, but she's not a draw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but the question that I had going on with um, everything that's going on in Haiti is, so have what I want to understand, have they installed an official leader? And are they going to have any type of elections at all anymore in Haiti? Well, Ariel Henry is still in charge, as I understand it. Um, the question is: Is there there's there's pressure from the people for there to have an, for there to be an election? But they don't necessarily want that to be the case. So apparently, ever since he was put in charge, and, and ever since he claimed authority after Moise was murdered, and again, you know, he's connected to that murder. There have been calls for there to be a democratic election, and that has not happened in over a year now. And one of the things I don't, and so what is the, because typically in these type of cases, wouldn't the U.S. uh, official standing be, because if I'm not mistaken, I mean, it was for show, but so the United States is not trying to have any form of, of, at least going in there and having any form of type of elections, because I know they did that in Iraq, was it Iraq or Afghanistan, where there was elections, I forget which one, but they were elections that they helped even though it was kind of like not really elections but i remember that you know the united states backing some type of democratic election in iraq so the the united states is not backing anything when it comes to like elections happening in haiti that is a excellent question and maybe one that we should have i should have brought um uh pascal and to fill in once our first round of guests left (laughs) i googled around a little bit and honestly i don't a lot about it that's specific you know I see an article from like January that talks about its generalized problems with elections um okay so it says if there is a consensus among most of Haiti's political factions and belatedly among much of the international community it's that rushing toward elections in 2022 is unrealistic and simply dangerous for both voters and candidates. I want to say, I don't want to see where this is. This is the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a grain of salt. It says, beyond the current headlines about insecurity and political paralysis lies a political time bomb associated with Haiti's dysfunctional electoral dynamics. February 7th, 2022 marks the date when President Jean-Venel Moïse would have ended his term in office had the president not been assassinated in July of this year. It also marks the date when the interim government of Prime Minister Ariel Henry was nominated by the late president will lose all of its already diminished credibility. The tenures of the remaining 10 elected members of the Senate will likewise come to an end. What then? Mm. The implications of a post February 7th vacuum point to an urgent need for a consensus 
The standoff is, is between Henri and a combination of disparate political factions on one side, formalized by the September 11th Accord, and a diverse civil society and political party coalition on the other. Opinions remain divided over whether Henri's search for a political compromise over the last 90 days was an earnest, but its outcome, notably a cabinet shakeup and partial purge of Moise loyalists, appears too shallow to be politically sustainable. Yeah. And uh, two more. I'm not sure if you're going to say anything. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Because, yeah, that actually didn't, you know, didn't enlighten yeah. too much. But two more questions. Um, do we have any, is there any more information? Because the one thing I'm not clear is why was the president assassinated? Was he um, someone trying to push for more, you know, unified Haiti? Was he someone who was maybe, you know, a little bit more antagonistic to more Western type of uh, demands and control over that island? Do we, do they have anything about that? Like why? Yeah, well... The the get Pascal's explanation was that basically Moise was a kind of a American toady and a, a American pick, someone that they were very comfortable with, until basically the the realities of the 2010 earthquake meant that the typical um, kind of power hierarchies in the country were disrupted such uh, somewhat because of the outside international influence. So suddenly you didn't have to go through the same channels, and Moise was pivoting. For some more control wrested away from America, you know, America and the West basically was the argument. Thus, he stopped basically playing ball to a certain degree and they wanted to get rid of him. That, so I don't, last... I don't think that he was necessarily a, like the best, most benevolent, heroic person in the world. But there uh-huh. was some effort to regain some kind of independence that arguably, allegedly, America wasn't that into. And my last question is. Do you, this is kind of seem a little bit defeated, but do you think it's even possible for a country like Haiti with, you know, the fact of it's the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, the fact of its size, of it ever being able to have a true level of independency and agency come to the island less, even if they get the, you know, uh, uh, a leader and, you know, uh, I believe they have like a parliamentary type of system, if I'm not mistaken. Well, why do you think it wouldn't be able to have independence? Well, when I say independence, I mean, because could, because it's so close and, you know, it has to, one of my thinking, like, the Western influence over a country of that size, I'm like, is there... I don't think, what, what's, what, how can I put this? That I don't everybody, think, the, the, we live in spheres of influence and they're never going to be, everyone is caught up in one sphere of influence or another if you're not basically the United States or China. Yes, yeah, is that type of mentality. Is it possible for them, or do they, like, that's what I'm saying, like, what is the level of, how much, how, what's the realistic idea of this country, of this small country being able to, on its own, without, like, the only way I can see it is some other country, or let's say we dramatically change the leadership in um, the United States that would allow a country like that to grow on its own, in its own way. Would you think that is a possibility? I mean, I think that the the portrait that um, Pascal paints so well, and, you know, for more, you can go back and listen to last year's episode on Haiti, and also, I know that Jonathan in the chat 
did an episode on his podcast here. I think it's here on Colin in more depth with Pascal as well. Is that it's, I think that you can make a broad, like, oh, spheres of influence argument, but what has happened to Haiti since it, you know, this, it rebelled and fought for its own freedom in this kind of remarkable, historically sort of aberrant way is much more than just generally being in the sphere of influence. You know what I mean? So like, yes, we're all kind of laughing, not laughing, but we're all kind of remarking on how America will just tell Germany, we're going to blow up, we're going to blow up Nord Stream. There's nothing you can do about it because America is going to do what America does. But the level of extraction and pressure and political control that the United States has had over Haiti is arguably much more significant and has been um, almost uh, a vengeful posture to punish Haiti for trying to be a free black state. And okay, so I think this, yeah, go ahead. I think this is actually be a more in tune to what I really want to know. Do you think it is a benefit? I think I know what your answer is, but if you want to go a little deeper, do you think it's a benefit or do you think we need to, as leftists in the United States, not to um, have on our platform that, France and other European countries pay back the money that they took from Haiti. Do I think that I sh- we should not that, argue for reparations for Haiti? That we should. That that should be um, something more. That should be like that should be more of the forefront of a leftist. I mean, movement. I don't see why not. I mean, honestly, I don't see why not. It's ridiculous. Not only mm-hmm. not only do all of these like. formerly enslaved populations deserve reparations haiti got free haiti fought for its own freedom and then was still penalized for it after the fact so it's like it's it's like even i mean i'm not comparisons are odious but it is like a double insult and and it's it means that there's a more kind of like an even more tangible debt owed because tangible sums of money were paid are being paid by the poorest country in the world to france you know, as as though it's like paying for its own freedom. It's ridiculous to this that someone can say, "Oh, I don't know." Like, I don't know. You can't prove that you were enslaved, and all of this malarkey that they try to tell us about enslavement and rep- and those kind of reparations. Like, this isn't even that. So and I, now I, I don't see the argument against it, to be honest. Yeah. And so now my next question would be, what would that? Okay, no, not what it would look like, but so should we now be as leftists? If whether you're voting in the Democratic Party or you're voting for third party candidate. Should we be going forward saying that we need, when we go to, um, because I've never heard this said, should we, because, you know, we are a Western nation, Haiti is our neighbors, um, we, I, as, I, you know, as a leftist, we should feel akin to all working class people, but should we now be going into, you know, different um, congressmen, senators, even on the presidential level, be it a third party candidate or within one of the, the two major parties, be saying, I want on your platform that if you win, you are going to say to France, to whatever European country, I believe it's mainly France, you need to pay back X amount of money to Haiti. I mean, that's interesting. What does that look like? I mean, so for one, that does seem a little attenuated because you're basically saying you want America to take the foreign policy position that another, another independent nation should do something else. So, like, I, I, I mean, rhetorically, I support Haitians' claim to be made whole. Like, I think that's perfectly legitimate. But I don't know that it, I necessarily – it's it's us trying to 
I don't know. Like that feels a little bit attenuated to be a, a priority, but I do think that you should have solidarity with people in Haiti that are making that claim or making that, you know, making that ask. I, I'm not exactly sure because it's not like we have any real authority to force any country to do anything, including France, even if we support the demand. Do you think it would be just good enough to say that? In the, you don't have to say, okay, France, you have to do this. If we say we believe, if I'm like, say, if I say you're, I'm the president of the United States and I go and I'm doing some like, you know, world event with all the nation leaders and I say, I believe that France and other European countries should pay back the money to Haiti because X, Y, and Z. They don't have to say I force, but I believe that this is a wrong that was done and they have the power to fix it. And in maybe solidarity, because, um, I don't know how this looked, because America also backed, if I'm not mistaken, France in getting the money from Haiti, we, we, we would also pay something. Yeah, I, I, again, I just, I think this is all a bit, like, the real, the real... The real problem with reparations, like, there's no question that debts are owed. The real issue is that we're at a place now where there are so many debts owed to so many people and such a, an improper aggregation of wealth among the hands of so few that it's almost like beside the point. Like, it's not beside the point. Like, debts are owed. But, like, it's it's almost when you're talking about it on this huge geopolitical scale, it's like you're trying to unwind there's a more important project, I think, of like just trying to unwind colonialism without having to tether it to something specific. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that sometimes you're going to end up in a, you're going to end up in one of these. Well, why France and not Belgium? And why did it? And why not this? And these conversations are just like, well, because it should be all of those things. And what does I think a better question would be to say like, what does it actually look like for us to live in an international co- uh, community with solidarity between working people of all of these countries? instead of in these bordered silos where we don't think we have that kind of responsibility. So it's almost like instead of trying to get the money that's already taken, just stop doing what caused the harm in the first place. I mean, but no, I think that like reparative action has to be taken. There's a huge Mm -hmm. wealth inequality between the global North and the global South. But I just don't know, like America is supposed to tell Haiti to, I mean, France to do something and, but is France going to just turn around and say, well, America release all of your prisoners and then everyone's just sitting around pointing to the bad thing that everyone's doing in everybody's country? I just – it just doesn't seem like realistic mm-hmm. or like from a geopolitical – like there's so many more asks also that I would make that what I would prioritize that I I don't know that it would be worth burning that I, – I don't know. Like it just seems I, – it, it doesn't – you don't get to do that. Like – if I'm if I'm walking down the street and I see someone like yelling at their dog, I don't know. I guess I can call the ASPCA or something. But generally speaking, that's just not my like. If the if the, someone asked me should the dog be yelled at, I would say no. But that doesn't really mean anything. I can't force anything. I don't have any leverage there. I don't have any standing to really be a part of that. You know. I understand. Okay. It's yeah, just, I don't know. So if I was just trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out what else could be because right now because like you said it seems very helpless like i don't know what haiti could do to make itself any form of whole um without some without intervention coming from 
you know, the United States in, or some larger Western force in some manner or way. Because I feel like because they're so close. Well, well, no, the other thing is that Haiti is being suppressed. Haiti is a resource-rich country. That's why everybody wants its paws all over it. It has yeah, resources. That's, yeah, that's what it's I just mean. not allowed to profit from them. The, yeah. the Clintons are out here suppressing the minimum wage. There's all that stuff with Levi's. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's been going on in the country. It's not like it's like just intrinsically poor, like it's a rock on the ocean where people are just hanging out with nothing to do. Yeah, that so, that's so, kind of what yeah. I'm I'm leaning towards is the fact because it's such a, you know, so rich in resources. I can't see uh, any form of their um, getting the independence that they would want. And being able to profit off of their own resources in a way that they would, that the people would want, being um, exact because of the fact that, like a country like ours, the United States, would want to have a say and would enforce their will over that. And larger corporations would want to enforce that. So, yeah, I was just trying to throw things out there, like what could possibly, what these things look like and things like that. Yeah. Well, look, I appreciate you calling in, Eric. It's been a good thought experiment. You have a good one. You too. Take uh, take care. Keep the faith. Hey, Sylvester. What's on your mind? Oh, dear. The scourge of the unmute thing today. Sylvester? Sylvester. Sylvester. Okay. Well, get in the back of the queue, and I can try you again. I'm not sure what's going on with the app. Isaiah, what's on your mind? Hello. Hey, Bree. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I just ate my food. I'm going to try to bleach my hair in, like, an hour. We'll oh, see how that goes. Is this, like, a fun bleaching or, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm ignoring a trauma bleaching? <laughs> Those are the two <laughs> options. <laughs> Um, well, had I've never bleached my hair in my life. Okay. Well, you know. Um, but, like, I was inspired after watching House of the Dragon to try to pull off the Valerian look, <laughs> just minus the dreads. Um, but we'll see how that goes. But, um, so, like, back on topic. So, regarding Haiti, like, like one question that I have is, like, like, like what is to be done in the immediate? Like, Like, I understand that, like, the United States is not a good actor in this and that international, like the recent history of the UN um, with like the sexual assault and just in general, like uh, third party actors entering Haiti hasn't led to positive results, but like there still is like, there's a cholera outbreak now, like people can't get fuel. Like there's like a major humanitarian crisis that's like occurring right now. And so, like, considering that the the state is not legitimate, like, like what, like, like what should be done in the immediate? I, I mean, that is a question I put to Pascal, and I don't know that people have a lot of good answers, because I think the skepticism of outside influence is legitimate, including the UN, which is not, you know, actually the United States, even if you can feel however you feel about who controls it, but it. In the alternative, it doesn't seem like the ongoing situation is exactly tenable. It is a really tough place to be right now, and everybody who's living there is suffering legitimately. There are resource deficits. There's uh, the gangs are like 
there's an oil deficit and the gangs are kind of guarding it and just, you know, dispersing it for whatever this ad hoc paramilitary reasoning is. And, you know, schools are canceled. People are distraught. And I don't, I wish we did have a legitimate international body that could intervene helpfully in these kinds of scenarios. The problem is we, we don't really. Right. I, yeah. And so like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I, I don't no, it's just like, I, I don't know. Like one of, one of my, um, like professors, like was like working at USAID and like, we were talking about the situation and like, like uh, the conclusion that he came to at the very least is is that like like despite all of the problems that exist with these aid agencies like like are you just going to let these people die like 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 really like what is the alternative other than like distributing like the humanitarian aid in the immediate and like insurance like trying to like restore c- civil society organizations and 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 to facilitate peace in the country, despite the ramifications that might come from that, because the actors that are going to be initiating that aren't good. And so, I don't know. It's just, it's a shitty situation. It's really shitty. It it is a shitty situation. And, you know, I I think we should continue to follow it for that reason, because, I mean, look, when when we withdrew from, from Afghanistan, there were some people who were, you know, concerned about the women and the children and other folks who said, you know, that's a pretext and it's, you know, just an excuse for us to stay in the country for another 20 years, which I think is legitimate and true, but it doesn't mean that there aren't in these scenarios, like real people who are affected by our actions one way or another. And, you know, we've been having this conversation with Russia, Ukraine a lot, like abstaining, not getting involved does have a human cost. And the question is, I, you know, my the initial question that I asked at the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine conflict wasn't like, no, we absolutely should never help anybody, but like, articulate to me what the rationale, what the, the what the litmus test is for when the United States can, gets involved, and subsequently, like, what are the barriers that are going to exist to prevent the country from exploiting these situations? And I think that we really do need to have that conversation because there is a world where there isn't a kind of an ethical participation from ours or other governments or international organizations, but we just don't, we aren't set up for that. We're not set up for doing it. ethically. We're not set up for any kind of checks and balances over the process. Yeah. And so, um, I also, I wanted to ask you, this is a separate question, but it's, it's still on topic. Um, so I've been doing a lot of reading about the gangs and I know that like you, like you talked to him about the gangs, um, in the video, he said that there's going to be a documentary coming out showing that some people perceive them as like, not some malevolent force but like like i i'm having so much trouble parsing through like like what is actually true about them like are these just bad actors or is this just like a pretext to intervene in the country like i i don't know could you talk a little bit about like what what you know about this or like what you've heard or what you've read or i mean yeah look i i asked pascal the same thing too because when i was parsing through i saw some people who were treating it or at least treating some of the gangs as kind of like robin hooding the situation and access yeah, yeah. resources and parceling them out and you know 
Look, and even in all gangs, there's a culture of like feeling the need to belong to a gang to protect yourself from other gangs. And in a in a world where there is often like lawlessness and an, an unfair criminal justice system and not enough social safety support, supports or you know, infrastructure in your neighborhood, all kinds of yeah, yeah. extra legal groups set themselves up. And it sounds different if you call it a gang versus if you call it something else. But you can easily imagine how, especially in a country that is kind of as lawless as Haiti is right now, that you could find yourself needing to side with some gangs and to get some real benefit, getting some real benefit out of having a good relationship with one gang or another, like clearly. But it's it's the reporting I think is all over the place, and there are a lot of folks who you know give no quarter to that perception of the gangs at all and you can understand why and most of it is just indiscriminate most of the discussion of what's going on is indiscriminate and and it's I, at the, from what i have heard from people who have like more resources and have left the country people who are like upper middle class and you know have multiple passports and citizenships and stuff you know when you talk to them there's a much flatter description of the gangs and they're like very much wanting return to normal. I mean, everybody wants a return to normal, but obviously if you have more to lose, then you want it more than other people perhaps. And maybe right, right. Be willing to settle for the previous kind of regime and the oligarchs that are running the country being still in place. Whereas I think a lot of people in the streets really want a more transformative change. Okay. Well, thank you, Bree. Those are all my questions. I mean, this it's just so hard to find out any information that like about really this that is. isn't I mean, like, have you tainted. That? Like I, I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was struggling to get a straight report on this stuff, like reading, reading, reading. No, yeah, yeah. And watching videos and stuff. And like, even I watched a couple of democracy now videos and one of them had a guest that sounded like she was kind of good, but she kept cutting out because the internet was so bad. And then another guest just like basically said, I don't know the answers to your questions, but here are some things I want to say anyway. And it's, it's tough because I don't ask with these sources. Like you can kind of get a sense of what the, like the political valences of like, you know, kind of status quo outlets versus like more revolutionary outlets. But I also don't want to be so credulous of revolutionary outlets that they're like, oh, the gangs are good, you know, and it's it's difficult to find the balance. Right, I right. haven't figured it out yet. No, yeah, like I literally study conflict resolution and like, like this is one of the topics that I've been researching and I am not sure about anything. And and it's and just like on a very basic level, I think it's like, it, it's so telling. Like we know so much about like various countries in the Middle East, like countries halfway across the world. And yet like, a, a country that's in the Western Hemisphere, like we can't even find out the most basic information about. Like I don't, I don't know. Like it's just, yeah. I don't know. I don't, this this has been a frustrating experience, but yeah, I agree. I thought a little bit that same way about the the Tigray situation. I tried to have a guest on. A lot of people were mad at oh, my choice. Yeah, of guests, and it was very difficult to find. Yeah, it was very difficult to find anyone who would come on because apparently it's just so. If, if you have family back home, people didn't want to talk about it because they didn't want their family to be targeted. It was like deep. And I'm, I'm similarly struggling with the Haiti situation, but bear with me. I appreciate all your questions and we'll see if we can, if you see someone who would think you would think uh, we could shed some light on this, there's any good interviews or articles or clips, share them and maybe I'll post them to Patreon or eventually do another episode. But thank you for calling in Isaiah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll ask my professor. Uh, have a good night. Have a good night. Good luck with the hair. 
All right, Omar, what's on your mind? Hello? Hey, Omar. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, I tried multitasking, which was my first mistake, uh, trying to work and also listen to Pascal. And he's pretty heady. Um, that's his style. And so I, I couldn't really grasp all the details. So I think I have to default to uh, House of the Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> What's in your mind about House of Dragon? So, uh, oh, before I get to that, uh, did you watch that episode with Norm Finkelstein on uh, This Is Revolution podcast from, it's called like the America's Most Censored. I think America's most censored. Yeah, I didn't. Most canceled. What, what's the deal? It sounds good. Uh, it's hilarious. I recommend. <laughs> I recommend watching America's most canceled, uh, but that's only tangential. Um, the yeah, the show. I love it. Um, but one thing that really bugged me was how Otto was brought back. Uh, I mean. I don't understand how they couldn't find somebody with the requisite skills to fill like a hand position uh, and how he wasn't executed <laughs> just for being so conniving. Wait, Otto, who, what are you, wait, who are we talking o about? Otto Hightower from. Wait, did we just go from talking about Norm Finkelstein <laughs> to, to Otto Hightower? What happened? I don't know if uh, there was like a, some audio that would cut off. Sorry, that was I was trying to find the Norm Finkelstein thing in an autoplay. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you find it? Yeah, I did. But answer my well, I don't understand. Well, were we talking about Norm Finkelstein? How does that relate to the Game of Thrones? <laughs> it it doesn't. It doesn't. No, I, I just uh, I went back and I uh, remembered that I wanted to ask you about um, if you've watched that that episode with. Um, Norm Finkelstein on This Is Revolution, but. Uh, no, I haven't, but I have it queued up. But did you have a Game of Thrones question? Yeah. So um, the uh, the Otto Hightower um, got expelled. and then For a good brought... reason, yeah. The yeah, king for... was wise and, then... and good. And he was brought back. And what's confusing to me is how they couldn't find anyone, like, across the land to yeah. fulfill that role with the requisite skills mm -hmm. and like he should have yeah just been executed and also uh Alicent when he when uh Laris first kind of displayed how conniving how uh how just evil he can be like I would have also had him uh executed but yeah yeah 100% <laughs> just, like <laughs> these people know too much and it was, it was like a it was like a weirdly insightful moment in these kinds of shows for Viserys actually to take his daughter's side and recognize that everything that was being said about his divided interests was true and that he couldn't possibly advise him impartially like that's like something that's so obvious and yeah. not personal but normally these kinds of shows, you have to watch for seasons until a bunch of dastardly deeds get done. And finally, usually it's too late before they realize they've been betrayed. And it's like ugh, exhausting to watch. There was something extremely refreshing about this. And it made you really like Viserys, even though he could at moments be a weak king. 
to say, you know what? I'm standing with my daughter. You are not a good advisor to me. Bringing her back when it has not changed that he is still your wife's daughter and who has extreme interest in his grandkids getting on the throne and not your daughter to whom he is not related. Like, what are you thinking? And like, I blame Ramirez too. Like, you should have talked to your dad about that before he got so sick he could barely sit up in bed and said, look, dad, you fired this guy for one reason. Why on earth would you bring him back? Don't you know this jeopardizes my standing to the throne and the lives of your grandkids? Yeah, and at that point, she was, she already had a seat at the table. Um, yeah, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. Anyway. Yeah, and by the way, the thing about her, like, not staying in the Red Keep or whatever – it's a real problem. Like she knows those meetings are happening around that table. The strategic meetings are happening with those little balls and the marble that they have that look like the little trackpad, the little mouse, <laughs> the little mi- mouse pads that we used to have back in Old the early nineties that we thought were so cool. Like they sit there with their little mouse pad balls and make all these big decisions. And she used to sit there as a little girl and was trying to learn the ropes. And she took herself out of that situation. She was allowed to be in those rooms with her dad and whatnot. She completely took herself out of the situation and didn't leave anybody there in her stead. Damon could have gone. Someone who was allied with her could have been in that room. And she just skied up for like a decade plus to the other side of town and expected that what, there was going to be some kind of peaceful transition of power. We can't do a peaceful transition (laughs) of power in the United States of America. (laughs) What do you think was going to happen? Did Robbie have anything to say about that? Yeah, I mean, he, he, we all kind of, I think, agreed that it was strategically stupid for her to leave. Although I think Ole was basically, Ole felt like it was getting so hot for her in the red keep that she basically had no choice to leave when she did. But I, I can accept that on some level, but like, you need to have an ally in the room. They can't be plotting an entire coup and you know nothing about it and you expect to be the, the, the person on the Iron Throne. Like, that's so naive. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, that, that's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I appreciate you calling in, Omar. Thanks. Take all care. Right, keep the faith. Uh, John, what's up, John Peterson? Ubery, hello. First of all, thank you so much for the discussion on House of the Dragon. That has been the probably best intro to any call-in show yet <laughs> love hearing Eliami and Robbie oh my god yes and I will say like Renice, uh you know the the aunt the one who has originally passed up like she's OG bad bitch mm-hmm. love her like you know I know they gotta make a TV show but I'm like can't she just like stab both of them and just burn them and just take over I feel like she's the, the more level-headed choice but anyway mm-hmm. um <coughs> excuse me on the the topic of Haiti, um, maybe not too much on Haiti because we, we kind of see where the, the cells, the wind is taking uh, the U.S.'s military proverbial cells. But are you aware of like just any members of Congress that are like maybe advocating for a, a pittance of restraint, you know, involving Haiti? Oh, so this is a news. Oh, involving Haiti. Um, no. No, of course Sorry. not. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, like, to be fair, like, I haven't really seen anybody say anything about anything. I thought you were going to ask about Ukraine because there was a story today. Did you see this? 
No, no. In the Washington Post, um, a group of 30 House liberals, LOL liberals, is urging (laughs) President Biden. These people don't know what the words are that they use to write these articles that they get paid to write. It's ridiculous. (laughs) But a group of 30 House liberals is urging President Biden to dramatically shift his strategy on the Ukraine war and pursue direct negotiations with Russia. The first time prominent members of his own party have pushed him to change his approach on Ukraine. That was from the Washington Post today. Sounds like those, what you said, 30, sounds like some of them actually had to go home and talk to their constituents. <laughs> well, look, I want to see, I want to hear the, the the talker about, I mean, I, I put this in the Slack for Rising, so maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow. But I want to know if this could be, you know, connected to all of the heat AOC has been getting at these town halls and how it's escalated the conversation about mm-hmm. why it is that the entire, all this Tulsi Gabbard stuff, like, yeah, they made you look bad. It is true. As much as you might have your critiques of Tulsi and on the right and conservatives, obviously we do. Like, if you let them get to the left of you on the war, that's on you. So maybe this is finally the pressure that all of that protesting and stuff created. I, 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 I take your point and agree with that. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when George W. Bush, we were in his second term and like, it, it, many, uh, what do we call liberals? I don't think there were any real progressives back then, but mm-hmm. they were saying no, like they were almost an, like anti-interventionist, like level, build mm-hmm. the walls, don't intervene in anything. Look what mm-hmm. George did. Uh, look what George Bush did in Iraq and Afghanistan, and mm-hmm. all of these things. And I'm like, where did those people go? About you know, like they've just disappeared, and mm-hmm. it's just become increasingly concerning because uh, you know. Haiti, uh, more close to us, maybe somewhat more, you know, in the, the hypothetical theories of spheres of influence and everything, maybe more somehow impactful to us. I, I don't see it. Maybe there could be more of an argument. I don't quite see it there, but it's just concerning to see this news about Haiti and see these uh, discussions happening admits the conflict that's also going in Ukraine. And mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm a basic nobody, but I do not have faith in any of our politicians or leaders to walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm tired of hearing them say it. <laughs> They're getting, I don't have, I have zero faith. They've proven they have no credibility to do that. They cannot multitask. So, like, while Ukraine's going on, now you're talking about some type of intervention need in Haiti. I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, it's it's baffling to me. And, like, my concern, and maybe you could find someone who could discuss this who's a constitutional law professor. You know, I have not noticed any progressives, any liberal, even any moderate or even conservatives. You know, there's some conservative Rep- representatives are speaking out actually talk about like a really serious constitutional crisis we have and that's like the presidential war powers like that was an issue we saw happen in afghanistan and iraq and uh, the conflicts like in the 90s and 80s and democrats used to talk out about that mm-hmm. and they used to say like hey we need to kind of curtail this congress is become a rubber stamp. And Mm -hmm. I don't hear anybody talking about that. Like I understand January 6th was a constitutional somewhat issue. Like it was a problem, but like, here's an issue that's been going on 22, 30 plus years, you know, that we have just kind of, it, it, it's dead in the water. Nobody talks about it anymore. And I'm just curious, like, are there any progressives that have ever mentioned like, Hey, maybe we should actually do a constitutional amendment to keep some of this shit in check. <laughs> so we're I not the world's police. I think that's a really good idea for an episode, actually. 
Um, I would love to talk to a legal authority who understands our international obligations and limitations. I'm, yeah. I just did, I gave it a quick, quick Google, and I think that's absolutely a question that we should be more informed about the extent to which, I mean, to the extent that we are like kind of hand-wringing and saying, oh, like you're doing proxy war isn't getting us anywhere. I'd love us to be making more focused arguments about what they yeah. might be prohibited from actually doing here. Right, okay. right. Because, I mean, the Constitution supposedly says that Congress has to approve wars, but they haven't declared war since World War II. They have these, uh, what is it, authorized military use protocols. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the terminology. My husband's in the military, so we have fun discussions. But mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and it's just uh, a discussion that I've noticed has not really been brought up. And I, I think we as all Americans should be very concerned what they do in our name and the fact that the checks and balance system that used to work is just dysfunctional now. It's literally the rubber stamp. The president can deploy forces and launch missiles, you know, at, at, at their his or her, her leisure. And, uh, you know, Congress may have some small gripes and sign a letter. But what in the event, you know, let's say people said, OK, Joe Biden, it's not undid at all costs. You know, we have enough consensus. We're going to pass a resolution and tell you you're you're going to have to you know withdraw and curtail some of these you know initiatives in Haiti or Ukraine. Like, what mechanism do we have to make him do that? Like, it's not expressly written out anywhere. And I'm like, that's a glaring issue. You know, like we we don't focus enough on those aspects of it. And I feel like that's a good way to kind of get to where we want to be, where we're not as interventionist is actually putting in the legal mechanisms to prohibit that <laughs> I, ent- I entirely agree and just given this first article that's come up from someplace called just security there's a lot of good meat for us to chew on so i put that in my personal slack for episode ideas and i appreciate yeah. you bringing that up john thank you so much <laughs> thank you brie and uh yes queen renice queen renice <laughs> and i hope god no season two i mean i don't know i forget the foot guy's name please that was just disturbing please no, no. <laughs> oh i think god. we're gonna get more i think we're gonna get a little ankle <laughs> Oh my God. I said, what the hell is this? I said, oh, I'm just, I mean, oh, no. I, I said, they're going to be toe sucking and all this. No. Just, no. Like, I love all of the idea. Game of, Game of Thrones has like pregnant wombs stabbed with knives and red weddings and the most gruesome stuff in the world, torture of dogs. Yeah. But you draw the line, John, at toe sucking. I do. The toe sucking <laughs> is where I draw the line. I can deal with the inside and all that. Oh, God. LOL. Thanks for calling in, John. Thank you, Bree. Y'all have a good night. You too. All right, Amanda, what's on your mind? Bree, I'm glad that you had a good first part of your show. It's always nice to hear you laughing and enjoying a good conversation. Um, Thank you. It's it's nice to be doing that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure with all the serious conversations you have. First, I would just want to recommend a quick quick recommendation for a podcast out of KPFA or a show out of KPFA called uh, Law and Disorder with Cat Power. She just did an interview. I dropped the, the link in the chat already. She just interviewed two um, people about Haiti. One is um, Memera Douche Prosper. Professor of Global International Studies.
Amanda? Did Amanda cut out for other people? I see a hundred. It sounds like Amanda cut out for other people as well. Oh, you're back. I'm back. Sorry. It kicked me out. You, you cut out after you said, um, cat powers and described her title. Okay. So, so, um, she interviewed two people about Haiti just this week. Um, including one who specializes in social movements of Caribbean and Latin America, especially Haiti, and Franz Jerome, a longtime Haitian human rights activist living in Florida. And you can check that out at KPFA. And then the, the question I really wanted to, to ask you is, is regarding all of the, the potential labor strikes and the potential for a general strike, or at least strike of workers who who control most of the movement of of things. Um, I was on a call this weekend with some striking South African workers um, through an organization that's trying to organize internationally a, the labor movements. To there's you know the ports and on the west coast are in in contract negotiations and the rail workers has still have there's still a couple of unions that haven't ratified so my question is if we were able to pull off some kind of strike that would put a strangle on the economy and force some action what do you think we should be demanding I mean, what do you think we should be demanding? I think we would all probably come up with a similar list, even if ranked somewhat differently. I think the first thing you have to do is you have to fix campaign finance. Mm-hmm. I think the next thing you have to do is demand a a change in foreign policy toward diplo- diplomacy. And mm-hmm. I and the third thing I would demand is Medicare for all. And I wouldn't necessarily make them in that order, but those are the three things. I think because you, if you don't fix campaign finance, if you don't take money out of politics somehow, you're not going to be able to sustain any other changes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I really like that you included um, campaign finance reform on there because it is the kind of neck from which all of the mini evil heads uh, grow. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, so you have to be basically threatening to cost them more by withholding your labor than the cost of the thing that they would do. Right. Otherwise that they, they just wouldn't listen to your demands. Right. Like that's, that's, that's the true. idea that, that it hurts them less just to concede to your demands than to hold out. I wonder, and I just, I'm not saying it's not the case. I'm just, I'm opining on whether or not Medicare for all is, would be worth it to them or whether they would just rather say, fuck it. We'll, we'll hold out. We we would rather outlast striking workers than to reform our entire healthcare system. It's, it's, it's an interesting question. Well, I think that if you, you could, you could put it in a, in a, instead of saying Medicare for all, you could say, go back to what it was supposed to be originally, which was that every few years they reduce the age that's eligible. So eventually. Uh, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like drop, drop the Medicare age to 
right 45 five years every year or yeah. something but there 100 so i think that's a conversation really that needs that that people on the left and people who want to see a better world that helps people instead of focusing on who's ever going to win capitalism by owning everything we have to be ready with what is it what is it that we can all agree that we need to say that we're not going to start up again unless we get this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's, I need to check in on, on some of those. Obviously, we did the railway episode a few weeks ago. But it's, it's just one of the hard things about not having like a daily news show um, that you have to be a little bit judicious with your topic choices. But, you know, I, I am always... It was really heartened by Ross Grutens who came on talking about the kind of willingness to make this into a bigger thing and the solidarity that all of the different um, rail worker unions had with each other and that it was all or nothing and that there didn't seem to be any of the kinds of resentment to sometimes bring these things to their knees. So, And the I, other I, thing I that I'm hearing, mm-hmm. I just want to say, the other thing that I'm hearing talking to these folks and paying close attention to what's happening is that mm-hmm. It's the rank and file that are really up in arms and they're ready to go regardless of what the leaders of the, some of these unions are saying. Mm. And that it's the rank that, that going around the, and going around the leaderships and gathering together the rank and files across industries, across unions is where to be. And if you listen to Jane McElady, Teamsters are one of the good guys. Unite here is one of the good guys who are actually doing the right thing in there, especially at the locals. So it, I just, I really appreciate you engaging in this conversation and I, and I hope to hear more about it as, as we move forward in this horrific situation that we're currently in. Thank God yeah. we're in it together. <laughs> yeah. A- amen to that. I just wrote a note to, it's been like over a year since Jane's been on the podcast. So I need to try to get her back as well. Thank you for the reminder. I thank you for checking in Amanda and reminding me to, to, to check in and maybe do a follow-up episode there. Oh, I love to be a nag to you, Bree. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good night. Thank you. Good night. Keep the faith. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off there. Um, Jonathan. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing really good, actually. I uh, I was just tickled pink this morning that you decided to uh, on Twitter uh, choose violence this morning because I, I, I know you did. I literally said that to my boyfriend, um, at, with the guy I'm dating. I should say, oh God, let me not on myself on this goddamn app. Uh, and I said, I woke up today, I chose violence, and I saw you in there defending me, but I turned it right back off. And what about my business? <laughs> But that's I'm the right thing so to do. And you know what? This shit, Jonathan. <laughs> I know you know I know your old podcast was called Somebody's Wrong on the Internet, but <laughs> nothing makes the haters more angry than when you say something right on the internet, I've noticed. <laughs> and they were big mad today and I was just I was delighted. <sighs> and you know, like I said, you, you you and I have the same position on on this type of protest and you know, it's absolutely correct, but you know, I just I was having fun with it. Like I I really enjoyed what I was seeing there and you know it's uh getting good conversation started uh you know I definitely posted like a link to uh you know the contours uh, do you love me because they got that line you can do the mashed potato you can do the <laughs> twist and you know it's like I'm having like I like I'm just I'm delighted to see it but uh I also thoroughly enjoyed uh this episode even if it was 
a little shorter than usual. Um, you you know, and like so I said, you pass. I, I presume that everyone has things to do and is feels a little burdened by an hour or hour 15 long episode and that it's like a relief to be able to like listen to an episode on double speed in half an hour. But you guys, a lot of you guys were like, oh, it was a short episode. And I was like surprised by that because I, I consider myself to have been a failure every time I do an hour plus long episode. No, I think you're underestimating how much people enjoy your content. And that's like, nobody's really happy when it's over. They're like, oh, I wish there was more. And that happens like in fairness, like, you know, we don't want you to, you know, exhaust yourself because like we would say that even if it was a three hour episode, but, um, you know, it's, it, it's a thing, but this, like, there is also a lot of kind of a lot of stuff to get into. And one of the things I've always appreciated about Pascal even that old interview he did on macro and cheese on, you know, the Haitian revolution, there's a lot of like politics to it that you just, you don't get even in the best histories that were written or the best, you know, uh, articles dissecting it that are written that, you know, people just miss. And, um, you know, it's just, it's the incredibly complex politics that were there even during the Haitian revolution. And he does a great job explaining all the reasons why everybody should care about that revolution uh, that most people are not aware of in this country, even though we've been neck deep in it uh, for its entire history, um, you know, is is just like it was really it really opened your eyes to, frankly, some of the, the complications you were talking about earlier. Like there's not, you know, part of it is we've been mucking it up uh, as well as the European powers, uh, particularly, you know, in the late 19th and early 20th century, I think there was a, a book that Ryan recommended a, a while ago, Ryan Grimm, mm -hmm. uh, he interviewed its author and, uh, it went through kind of following the, the path of, uh, of Marine General Smedley Butler, who eventually took kind of a hard left turn, but, uh, was involved in all of these early 20th century, colonial enterprises with the Marines and kind of talked about the legacy and uh, just the kind of stuff that we've done to help mess it up with the incredibly complex politics that were already there. Um, you know, an outside solution um, is like, there's no way to do that without making it worse. You would have to have somebody, uh, you know, in there who is really fully aware of all of these complex politics on the ground uh, that would know how to manage them and start kind of untangling the uh, all the tangled wires there and, you know, reconnecting things in a way that would make that place, um, you know, prosperous and truly independent again. And it's just like, I don't know, like that, that's a topic that, you know, you could like you really need somebody with a considerable degree of expertise in that politics to explain it. And frankly, even Pascal, and I'm sure he, he would acknowledge this is not even ideally placed because even he had to contact his people that live there mm -hmm. to understand some of these dynamics. And it's, it's just so hard to get good information on what's really going on there from over here without actually, um, you know, talking to all kinds of people that live there and hearing all the different perspectives. And even then, I'm not even sure a lot of them have a clear idea of, of how to unscramble it. But you got to start somewhere, I guess. And, you know, 
maybe not um, exploiting them and having their leaders assassinated would be an excellent place to start, I think. Yeah, I mean, to that end, like, I think the last time Pascal came on to talk about Haiti, he was joined by a professor, a friend of his, who I had heard him interview on This Is Revolution podcast, who also gave a lot of really good information. So, again, I recommend that part of why I didn't get into the details again this time was because we had done it on the previous episode. We should go listen to that. And, Jonathan, tell people where they can find your interview with Pascal. Uh, it was it was Steve Grumbine's interview with Pascal on uh, the Macro and Cheese podcast. That's no, Macro Letter. I thought you mentioned on the Patreon that you had interviewed him too. We, as in real progressives. Oh, I see. Um, I see. Okay. Yeah, we like we as in real progressives. Like that was Steve Grumbine that uh, that see. did that interview. But it was it was just a really good interview, and he went into you know even the critiques of some of the best histories. Uh, you know, that are out there on uh, on that time period, you know, the early Haitian history, uh, he had all of this supplemental information that, uh, you know, he pulled from various places, you know, things to drill down on, look on, look at that were of much greater importance that a lot of these uh, historians really gave credit for. And uh, it's just like, these are like, this is a remarkable place full of, you know, very remarkable people who did remarkable things. Like, they did what nobody else did. Like, these were slaves that really overthrew the masters and yeah. then beat off all of the major powers who tried to come and take it back yep. for decades, really. Yeah. And, like, these like these were legends. These were heroes. And, you know, what, what happened to them in the end, like, some of it was a factor of internal politics and betrayal and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, these, like these, the people of that Island deserve so much better than they got. And like, frankly, even reading, you know, uh, you know, con contemporaneous stuff from like early 20th century segregationist South, like they were using the story of Haiti as, as a boogeyman, mm -hmm. like well into the mid 20th century, you know, this was a story that you know, that racist segregationists would, you know, tell their kids that would scare them and keep them up at night. Mm -hmm. You know, the story of the story of Haiti, like they, this was still in the popular zeitgeist. And then for some reason, after the mid 20th century, it just kind of disappeared from the American public consciousness. Well, I don't think it's for some but, reason. I think that Haiti has always presented such a threat to the U.S. and, and other empires because of what they accomplished. And they, and they were punished to have to pay back a debt, LOL, a debt to, I've been doing quotation fingers, in, um, to, to France because of what it meant for the world for that kind of a model to be replicated all over the place. And so they very intentionally um, didn't tell that story or told it. I was talking to someone who I won't out here about the Haitian Revolution and this weird, this weird thing the right keeps pressing where they're like claiming up and down, left and right and center, that England was the first place to outlaw slavery. And when you say no, it was Haiti and they didn't, like it wasn't a decree from above. They fought for their freedom and won it. This person said to me, well, but they killed a lot of people when they did it. And I was like, and? <laughs> yeah, Excuse and, yeah. me? You're they had it coming. The slaves killed their enslavers? <laughs> what on earth? On what other context in the world do we like not root for the enslaved people fighting to get themselves free? Like, I'm sorry. Are they supposed to politely ask the people who are enslaving them to be free? 
I mean, but that's, yeah, that's how other, we're programmed, you know? Yeah, the other funny part of that conversation that came up mm. briefly was, uh, you know, when you were talking about uh, slavery as part of capitalism. And I was reminded of that old segment on The Rising where neoliberal tears captured literally the best side eye you've ever given, Robbie. <laughs> but uh, it's like the thing is, like, that should be beyond, uh, you know, beyond contestation. Like there's all kinds of documents and things like that. I, like I'm reading a book right now by this guy, Richard Vay, called A Brief history of doom that talks about financial crises and you know there's like documents after documents this was literally core to literally southern capitalism okay like they were using slaves as collateral to get credit to take over other plantations Mm -hmm. and you know the allocation of capital was you know like the you know the use of slaves as collateral was absolutely like core to it like this is absolutely part of capitalism and you know that i think um you know was what made it like what made haiti such a particular threat to a lot of this growing early capitalist order and uh you know like nothing in this world would make me happier to see those people finally able to achieve their potential and and be the kind of place that it it always should have been but was thwarted from becoming yeah yeah i have i mean every every everyone should feel kind of a deep bit of gratitude and sense of solidarity with haitians because every every wrong that has been done globally it's like a it's like a it's a perfect encapsulation of both like the worst parts of colonialism and the best parts of human resilience and courage and bravery and you know there's a reason that they've been oppressed the way that they have been and it's because they know exactly what an exemplary model Haitians are and I don't know the solution of how to deal with what they're going through right now I don't know that Pascal will keep trying to talk to people who have a sense of what kind of help can be given that isn't just an excuse for more exploitation by the West but you know my heart is with Haiti yeah, and that's that's exactly why, like, telling people why they should care is is also important. And that's, you know, one thing that this episode helps do, I think. So uh, I'm glad you did this particular interview on this topic. Well, if you guys want more, we did record an extra, like, 15 or 20 minutes or so where we ended up just talking about Kanye after the episode wrapped. <laughs> and we've edited it up and might release it, but I just have to talk to Pascal first and make sure he's okay with what's in there since it was like the off the record bit. Um, but you might get a little bonus uh, before Thursday. So if you're a subscriber, stay tuned for that. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for calling in. And thank you for being you. such a warrior on Twitter today. <laughs> My pleasure. All right. Keep the faith, Jonathan. You too. All right, Raya, I think we're going to end with you tonight. Oh, and for people who don't know, I chose when I say I chose violence, it's because I decided to go full force defending the um, the painting vandals, <laughs> the environmental protesters uh, who, you know, splashed the tomato soup and then the mashed potatoes and now have splashed something, oil maybe, on the faces of the Madame Tussauds royal family, which people are more behind, it seems. But regardless, I think it's all good. But that's just me. Raya, what's on your mind tonight? Um, I think it cut out when I called in, but that's actually exactly why I'm calling in. Uh, just oh, like great. Jonathan, 
I also saw that you woke up and chose violence on Twitter. <laughs> so um, I just want to thank you for talking about the soup protests um, and climate protests generally. It's something that is very near and dear to my heart and is not talked about in the left enough. Um, mm. And so I'm not, I also missed the AOC debrief um, episode. So I'm not sure if like protest tactics were discussed further there. Mm. And okay, I will go back and listen to that. But when you were talking about having Jane McAlevey back on um, for another strike episode, I just wanted to ask if you could also discuss specific tactics as well. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, I also reached out. So the, for those who aren't subscribers, you might've missed that the, that the, the AOC protest episode, the second half of it was about the soup protests and that part didn't get put in. None of that part got put, you know, online on YouTube, uh, for free. So we did have a conversation about that with Nathan Robinson, but I think there's more to say. I was actually DMing with Peter Kalmus today, who was also mad online about this. <laughs> and I might invite him to come back and talk about it. I don't know if it warrants a whole other standalone episode since we did talk about it on an episode. But I reached out at that point earlier um, to Ralph Nader to see if I could get him back as well, because he had talked about protest tactics when he was on. And also, I think I think an episode that's like Peter Kalmus, Ralph Nader, and Shama Sawant, Jane McAlevey, some combination of those people would be would would justify bringing the subject up again on the podcast. Yeah, that sounds like my my dream episode. Um, I know on campus we're working towards organizing a lot more strikes for tuition freezes and various things and food security. So I think having an episode dedicated to that would be super helpful to use as a resource to share with other people as well. well but what are your, what's your guys' thinking uh, as you guys are planning your protests on, on campus? It's hard because I'm in a fairly conservative part of Canada. Um, mm-hmm. We're mostly focusing around tuition freezes right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they removed a tuition cap that we had in place back in 2018, 2019. And so our tuition has been going up. Like my tuition in from my first year in university to now, over the course of, I guess, three years, four years, has gone up a thousand dollars for the same number of courses. Mm. And I mean, I know that's small potatoes compared to the States, but we're, we're, I think, trying to regain a lot of the organizing history that I think a lot of us are missing. So we're working on organizing like barnstorming events and general assemblies to kind of build even just student awareness in order to get to the point where we can do general strikes. So it's definitely at the early stages, it feels like, of just rebuilding that sense of solidarity on campus so that the strikes are effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But do, you, do you have these kind of strategy conversations? Are there are people of two minds about, you know, whether to do something that, you know, turns off people in the way that the art protests seem to have turned off so many people can I just say about this though I'm sorry (laughs) I'm sorry like I know that this seems a little counterintuitive because I am that person who's like oh like tailor your protest and have a broad reach and realize you're not preaching to the choir and all of that like I get that but like I feel like this is not a protest for conservatives this (laughs) is not for them like a conservative like the, the, the but-for cause of not having more engagement with climate change, like this is the UK, so they're in an entire different political context. But even if you look at the United States, we have control of the White House, the House, and the Senate. 
This is like not about them. It's about Joe Biden and 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 the neoliberals in the in the in Congress not pulling like just decimating the already paltry climate bill that Joe Biden initially was supposed to pass. So this is not a this is not a is this going to convince a climate denier to like believe in climate change? No, that's like generally speaking, like broadly speaking, not the issue anymore. The issue right now is a bunch of comfortable liberals who really like their fucking Monets <laughs> are, are, are like lackadaisical about it and would rather support institutions like Joe Biden and the Democratic Party or the fucking British Museum rather than like confront the fact that their politics are inadequate for the moment they're in and that they would rather uphold like property which isn't even being damaged by the way but they they would rather get mad online about property than any of the climate protesters that have been arrested and sentenced to these insane draconian sentences you know um the 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 thousands of people who are, are died and got cancer from the it, it, in the in the Amazon lawsuit with Peter Donzinger, the the thousands of people, maybe millions of people who die from air pollution every year in a country like China, like the the fact that a third of Pakistan was just underwater a month ago, like none of them tweeted about that. And if you had said one word about any of those things, I might listen to you for half a second as you kvetch about a goddamn painting behind glass. But you're not a neo, you're not you're not like anti art or anti. I was an art history major. I don't not care, but like when you feel yourself in your soul getting angry about the idea that a precious painting is getting, getting destroyed, which it isn't, but hypothetically, mm-hmm. could, you need to reach deep into your, your, like, you need to introspect and think, why do I not have the passion in my blood for when I find out that a human being has died as a consequence of not addressing the climate crisis? Oh, and like, yeah. the, I think the people, the reason people are fucking mad, the reason people are mad is because they are provoked into legitimate anger over the painting. It, it is, it's angry making. Like, I don't want paintings. To get, it's not the painting's fault. I get that part, but they're not really reckoning with, and this is what I tweeted. What they're not reckoning with is what, why it is that they have that kind of response when they haven't had that kind of response in other contexts, when it has been about things that are much more important than a painting. And they're like, well, there's not connected. It is connected. The museum is funded by BP. Moreover, at the end of the day, like an, with an issue like this, I, I do kind of believe that like there's no such thing as bad press. Because either you are a climate denier, in which case you're not in this anyway. Like you don't agree with anything. You don't believe in anything. Or you believe that climate change is real and it's a problem, in which case I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm trying to get you to fucking act. And the fact that you have been sitting around like claiming that you care about stuff, but not it need, someone needs to expose the contradictions there. And that's exactly what a protest like this does. When you go to an elite space and you mess up the shit that elites want, that elites value. And I understand it's a public museum and like everybody gets to go and it's not just elites that have access to it, but I'm not allowed to go into some Sackler's house. You know, they've been protesting at the BP, like uh, at BP and at JP Morgan and all of these places, and nobody gives a shit. They had 10,000 climate activists do this in April in front of all of these institutional actors, and no one gave a shit. So, yeah, like, 
Now we're going to have to block traffic. Now we're going to have to shut down labor. Now we're have to, we have to do things that, yes, inconvenience people. And for the inconvenience to be this mild and for people to be losing their shit this hard, like, we're fucked. Like, relax. Nothing even happened to the painting. And as I said last time on the podcast, maybe it should have. Maybe, maybe there should have been some real damage done because people aren't fucking getting it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Raya. No, that's amen to every single word of that. And I think that's why like an episode dedicated to that would be so useful to have this conversation fully fleshed out and be able to have that conversation to show people of like, listen, these tactics are being used because none of the other tactics have worked before. And to kind of offer that let many flowers bloom of, okay, well, we've tried this, we've tried this, now we're doing this. What else would you like us to do? What could maybe be more effective? But I think especially having like Ralph Nader and Jane McAlevey together, um, as well as the other two would be very powerful and have broad appeal to kind of hopefully further get liberals to listen a little bit better of, look, we've heard what you said about this not being the right way to do it. Here are some solutions that we've come up with, or here's why those haven't worked and maybe sway some minds that way. But yeah, I, I fully agree. And I think about routinely engaging with that kind of thing as well, because yeah, the paintings weren't even injured. So. Oh, I just looked and I see that I actually got a yes on the Nader front and I didn't even see this fucking email from. Friday the 14th, he said next Thursday or Friday, which I think was last Thursday and Friday, which I'm such a, I need to do better with my email. So I'm going to f- track back around and try to see if I can get data around this week. But look, thank you for all the work that you're doing on campus, um, Raya. And please do touch touch base again if you guys have any more conversations about, like, what do you think works versus doesn't work. Because you were the test kitchen. You know, <laughs> even, even, if the, even if we decide together that there's a better way to do this than the art thing, I just wish the critiques were like, here's my advice on how it could be improved and not these kids are so dumb. I'm embarrassed to even care about the environment anymore. Like your people are telling on themselves. Yeah. Oh, that's entirely the thing too. It's like, well, if you don't think it's the way we do it, then what are you even doing? Nobody else is doing anything. Yeah. 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 Anyway, look, thank you. Thank you, Raya. Like there's only two people left, so I'm inclined to just push through. Okay. All right. Isaac. Oh, oops, I accidentally made you a speaker. I didn't mean that. But uh, say your say your piece. I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind? <laughs> uh, so the one thing that I had in mind about this episode specifically, and you've kind of touched on it with other people, what, uh, but at the end of the episode what you said to Pascal was like the left is a little bit afraid to actually, I think like talk about or like make claims about any of what's going on in the world. And I think that as of late, I've found myself in that position. Mm. And, and I was just wondering what, what, like how you go about trusting sources and and just really trying to get through the muck and the mire it's it's very difficult like i remember i remember there was this moment there was this moment where you know 
it became clear that in the post-Bernie world, there were all of these, you know, people were like, oh, this person wrote for RT or had a show in RT or they're part of the gray zone and they're crazy. And there there was all this stuff being thrown around. And it it took a long time just being in the space before I, you know, could trust people. And honestly, a lot of it has to do with people that I know and trust who they like. Um, It's like an open door for me. And it's not foolproof, you know, but... It is, it, it's not fair because not everyone has like personal relationships with these podcasters and stuff like that. Right. But it, it does, it does help, but honestly, there's no shortcut to just listening to folks. Like, like for example, I, I'm, I'm never going to have a level of like knowledge about what's going on in Ukraine as Aaron Mate. And I think that on some level, it's a fool's errand for me to sit and think I'm going to be able to like catch everything that he says that I might not agree with without like years of tracking these, the stuff as closely as he does. But what I can do is I listen to him. I listen to someone who's mad at him and is critical of him. And I try to figure out who has the more cohesive argument. And I hear the challenges that Iron will put to other people, like the questions he asks about the inconsistencies in their argument. And I hear them not answering those questions. And then I hear what they say about Aaron. And so much of it is just like, you're a Putin puppet and non-substantive. And then I hear Aaron say things like admitting where he was wrong. Like he opened the, uh, his episode on bad faith where I, I was, he said, you're giving me too much credit. I was wrong about um, Russia invading Ukraine in the first instance. And it makes me find like over time that he seems to be more credible. I'm sorry. It doesn't mean he's always going to be right. Like no one is, but I just, it's more credible, which is part of why like, I love it when people talk to each other. I love it when people just air their disagreements out in person because to do it on your own is to like have to do a graduate thesis level review of someone's entire oof. <laughs> and it's impossible to do that for everyone. So you end up just like following the people that the people that you like already follow. Or you hope that someone has a debate or an exchange of some kind that kind of surfaces the core disagreements and gives you a sense of who seems to have a better grasp of the issues. Yeah. I, I, I guess my approach or my thinking was kind of along those same lines where every single time that I like, I read differing opinions about what's going on in XYZ place in the world. I'm just like, I want to make friends with people who live there and just talk with them about it because I I don't want to hear all these talking heads just say this bullshit and I want to know what's happening with the people there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's legitimately difficult and there being so much breakdown and communication on the left doesn't make it easier. I got to say that's part of why I have this interest in people getting back together again, even though people, you know, folks say that's a naive desire and like, I shouldn't waste my time. Like I don't like having fewer resources at my disposal. I don't like, you know, at very least if there's a different take on TYT versus Chapo or, you know, young Turks or, or sorry, um, majority report or whatever, I just want to, I want us to live in a world where, you know, uh, Chank is willing to sit down with Sam, is willing to sit down with Kyle, is willing to sit down with David Pakman or whomever, is willing to sit down with RBN 
and just at least just say out loud what the actual disagreements are so we don't have like years of people claiming that like the real issue is that you know kevin mccarthy could be speaker of the house or whatever like it's just it's such a waste of everybody's time oh yeah i I think that was one of the first things that i said when i called in was like cutting through the abstraction is super important yeah yeah but yeah i don't know that was that was my one question um while while oliami was here i was gonna try and have her convince you to go on another podcast that i really think that you would enjoy Um, which podcast it's called uh the daily zeitgeist and just back i don't know a couple months ago when you were talking about how you wish you had just like a bullshit thing that you could you know chit chat with people and have it not be so serious uh it's essentially that where like she was actually on it just a couple weeks ago and she talked about cartoons and also i want to say like some candy that came out and then also (laughs) had serious discussions about uh policing cool i'll definitely check it out starting with ole's episode yeah i mean it, it i don't know how they figure out where their guests are coming from like they they are how i found out about alec karakatsanis who was also on there talking about like how he was making uh cork boards with like wine corks and like talking about cats and then also really (laughs) getting into the thick of it so okay well i will definitely i just followed them on twitter and i will definitely be following up Maybe I'll listen to yeah, it below, below drop my hair. If, well, if if you randomly get an email, you know, even two weeks later, that's like, hey, come on, since you were a press secretary and all that, I think it'd probably be a cool time. Okay. Thank you. And, you so, know, that's, it's helpful to get, it's helpful to get that kind of like suggestion because sometimes the inbox is like overwhelming and who, who can tell what to say yes to? I, I probably need some kind of agent or assistant but that's that's my cross to bear that i won't even yeah. put in the work to do get get some help that would enable me to have less work that, that is my own circle there. <laughs> yeah i'm working on it. i see but, that ole's episode was on september 6th so i will definitely be listening to that thank you so much yeah it was a good time thank you keep the faith all right keep the faith isaac sierra bring it in the rear last but not least What's on your mind tonight? Hi, Brianna. Uh, Hello. What you thinking about? I was wondering what you think about uh, why Noam Chomsky would call uh, force the vote um, kids whining for candy. Did he really? When did that happen? Yeah, he was uh, when he was a guest on... Um, the Vanguard, the Vanguard, they asked him about it and he said, uh, Oh, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's so weird. I don't know what happened. I don't know what force of vote did to so many people. Well, for one, here's what I think. I think that probably maybe this, I don't, I don't mean this in a patronizing way. Maybe he fully understands what it was all about, but there were so many naysayers and those naysayers tended to be the kind of people who are closer to Chomsky 
So I wouldn't be surprised if the version of events that he heard from someone was stupid and incorrect. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cause you made a really convincing argument for force the vote. And then I was just with everything Chomsky has relayed and just from the like stuff that I've listened to with Chomsky, it just, it was just very odd to me that he would, he would think of uh, force the vote as kids whining for candy being, you know, like the like smart guy he is. <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect he just, you know, he's not like on Twitter, you know. So like whatever version of it he got, I, I, like here, here's what I'm sure he was told by whomever it was that explained it to him. Yeah, uh, a bunch of people. Uh, decided last minute, sorry, I don't mean to be doing Sam Cedar voice. A bunch of people decided last minute to, uh, ask the progressives in the house to lose all their political credibility and not vote for Nancy Pelosi, even though doing so would have made a Republican become speaker of the house and they weren't going to get Medicare for all anyway. Okay. That's literally the argument that they make. Right. Like, and like half of it is just not true. The Kevin McCarthy bit is obviously not true. The whole point is that you use your leverage of not confirming Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House, which could go on indefinitely, which is not have a speaker and strip her of all of that authority until you get any number of concessions. It could be, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be med- med- Medicare for all. What I really appreciate about David Segura's contributions is that he pointed mm-hmm. to a lot of really meaningful things that could be done that could help. Democrats and what would have been very helpful in retrospect. I'm sure they didn't talk about all of the ways that AOC logged on and confronted Justin Jackson with a bunch of like really piss poor excuses about why she wasn't going to act now that she was going to save her political capital for fight for 15. Something that absolutely didn't happen. I bet a lot of people that, but they didn't explain to Chomsky that a few days later, one six happened. And then um, in the aftermath of one six, she, when she was explaining why they were going to force a vote to impeach the president, that that was when people are like, it's not going to happen. So why are you doing this? She gave a list of explanations for why it was still worth having a vote that were identical, identical to the explanations that we gave for why we should force a vote on something actually worthwhile, like healthcare. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure none of that, none of that context got through. And the fundamental lie uh, about Kevin McCarthy was the lie that they hung on to for so long because it was the only thing that could even begin to justify um, uh, in action. And I, and I will say this, there's a similarity here with the paint protests insofar as like people will say to you, what is the point of this protest? They didn't do anything. And my feeling, and I said, this about force the vote too. If the downsides are so limited, you don't have to prove that much about what the upsides could be. The upsides could be very theoretical as long as the downsides are basically nil. And in fourth, the case of force the vote, there was literally no downside because unlike holding up, let's say, the American Rescue Plan or so, whatever like monster legislation had like $15 minimum wage attached to it, you know, if you if you force the vote on that, which, again, I still think they should do, people don't get vaccines in arms, the, the pandemic, you know, people don't get pandemic relief, all of that kind of stuff. And that's meaningful, which is why there's leverage and you should absolutely do it. But there, there's there is an argument for like, there being downsides there in the middle of a crisis. With force the vote, the only thing that happens is Nancy Pelosi isn't Speaker of the House. 
There's no debt ceiling. There's no government employees who don't get paid. There's like literally nothing bad that happens for anybody in the entire world except for Nancy Pelosi. And right. if that's the case, like, hey, let's just throw some spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Like, honestly, you don't even have to begin to articulate an upside at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just, um, I think when I heard Chomsky say, oh, it's just kids whining for candy. I just was like, well, it's, it's Chomsky. He must, you know, he's a genius. He must know what he's talking about. But everything from everything that you say, like, um, it seems like it's something that should continue to be, you know, uh, discussed regardless of how much it annoys certain people. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I probably shouldn't have, I don't know, first of all, it was (laughs) kind of traumatizing. And I think there was... A point at which you know life happens and busy yet last year was kind of crazy and i you know in retrospect i almost wish i just had never taken the foot off the gas at that at all i mean look we we did a lot of forcible content on the show and it was like we talked about i continue to talk about it and it comes up but there was a point where i you know it felt like okay it's time to move on but honestly it keeps coming up because it keeps remaining relevant and I think it's worth maybe doing a retrospective of sorts. Maybe I should ask um, Chomsky back on the podcast as well. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be really cool I'll to hear. It, I'll add it to the list. I got to figure out how to get in touch. I got to figure out how do we get in touch this time. I'll figure it right. out. Thank you, Brianna. All right. Thank you so much. Look, getting to the end of the line is unprecedented. You guys are champions. Thank you for joining this Game of Thrones conversation. It's been a blast. I will see you next week. No, on Thursday. Keep the faith.